Magoni's a goal scorer. What about Dante? Dante's his own breed. Give me two seconds, Eichel and Svetch, and I'll be coming at your neck. Richard Zednick, laugh past the breadstick, or Tammy will bury. Send him on his merry way, lest it's on carry. What's sadder than KK's broken spleen? Leafs fan with hopes and dreams. Rick Moose is back for season three with hot takes like you wouldn't believe. I'll block shots. I rescind that. You've never blocked a shot for me. Now let's turn it over to the host of the show. His character's high, but his skill level's low. Kid back checks like you don't even know. Championship flow, Jonathan Quick is a schmo. Yeah. Oh, hello there. Tis the season. Last year was like treason. Stanley Cup, or like a COVID cup. The year of Cooper was more a big blooper, like Ferris Bueller in a brand new cruiser. Now my car is a star, moves like a sports car He can sauce like a boss and crisscross like Art Ross He's peanut butter smooth like Quinn Hughes And a work of art like that upstart Carter Hart Mmm, that's good kokanee right there So in comes Keith, will the boys be Leaf? Can Jumbo Joe and Austin Smoe avoid another repeat? It's time to start the show, so turn up the stereo Put your feet up, relax, enjoy a Bud Light Jack Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to season three, episode 11 of the Rink Moose Hockey Podcast, an episodic podcast where two, sometimes three good friends get together and discuss all things NHL and their implications in the fantasy hockey universe. I am one of your hosts, as always, Nick Costu, along with my partner as usual, Kyle, nice. Kyle, how are you doing on this Thursday evening? I'm doing just fine, Nick. Uh, oddly chipper, I'd say. And I'd like to brief the sellout crowd here, uh, just letting them know that it's going to be a different show for me personally. Going with no notes, everything off the top of the dome. I'm tuned right in. I've been, I've been following along. So hopefully I'll be able to, uh, to carry my weight, which, uh, well, it remains to be seen. But let's give it a try. Fair enough. And with that said, we introduce in the rotating third chair this week, they call him the pure one, Michael Robson. Oh, Michael, yes. how are you doing? Uh, how are you Michael! doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm happy to be back. Sad that I missed <laughs> the last one. I feel like, you know, talking about Brant Clark and Shane Wright, we could have gone for five hours. Um, but happy right. to be joining on this one and excited <laughs> to talk. Talk what's going on in hockey these past couple of weeks and get to get some playoff predictions. Yeah, no, uh, lots to get into. I mean, I mean, we were a little confused going to this episode because we have a lot of ground to cover with the league. A lot has happened in the in these last couple of weeks of the regular season. Um, but then, of course, we have the playoffs starting really soon. I mean, it's it's the COVID oh. year, so the whole schedule has been flipped flipped around. So. Um, yeah, so we will be, that'll be our structure for today's show. We'll be going through some of the week's biggest headlines, some of the biggest topics, and then we'll be closing out, uh, with some playoff predictions. Um, so with that said, we move on to our lead this week brought to you by Coors Banquet, the banquet beer. Okay. You ready, Kyle? <laughs> yes, <laughs> we getting, we getting, yes, we yes. getting paid for that. 
Uh, I will reach out to the correct sponsors okay. and uh, we'll try to recoup some assets there. I know you uh, get on it. You've been, you've been saving that one for this episode in yes. particular. So yes, yes, yes. Okay. Topic number one, the lead. This courtesy of the athletic. At 9.47 p.m. Monday, the Washington Capitals posted a picture of Tom Wilson on Twitter, accompanied by words, at Capitals chooses violence, with a reference to Wilson living rent-free in the minds of his detractors. The tweet was in reference to a second-period melee that earned Wilson four minutes for roughing, a 10-minute misconduct that sent Rangers star Atemi Panarin to the dressing room for the rest of the game with a lower body injury. The post was deleted 30 minutes later. The damage, however, was done. Twitter was a fire, as it often is after a controversial play involving Wilson, the capital top-line winger and the NHL's most polarizing figure. The post drew at least 800 quote tweets, 2,400 retweets, and 1,500 likes in the short time it was up. Even for an account with 786,000 followers, that's a lot of engagement. The Rangers put out a statement on Tuesday after the fine was announced, saying that George Peros, the head of NHL player safety, is, quote, unfit to continue his current role. This, of course, followed after Peros decided to suspend Tom Wilson, or sorry, not suspend, but fine Tom Wilson $5,000, the league's maximum. The full statement read, quote, the New York Rangers are extremely disappointed that Capitals forward Tom Wilson was not suspended for his horrifying act of violence last night at MSG. Wilson is a repeat offender with a long history of these types of acts, and we find it shocking that the NHL and their Department of Safety failed to take appropriate action and suspend him indefinitely. Wilson's dangerous and reckless actions caused an injury to Artemi Panarin that will prevent him from playing again this season. We view this as a dereliction of duty by NHL player of safety George Peros, and we believe he is unfit to continue his current role. Earlier this season, Wilson was suspended seven games for an illegal check to Boston Bruins defenseman Brandon Carlo. In his career, the 27-year-old has accrued a total of 30 games suspensions and forfeited nearly $1.3 million in salary for his on-ice aggressions. I thought it was just a scrum, like a physical play, Capitals coach Peter Lavoulette said. There was something going on originally with a goalie, and they're jamming at the goalie, and a bunch of players jump in there. It happens a lot. Rangers coach David Quinn saw things differently, saying, we all saw it. There are lines that can't be crossed in this game. There's just zero respect for the game in general. You've got one of the star players in this league now that could have gotten seriously, seriously hurt in that incident. Rangers veteran Mika Zabanajad, who was involved in the scrum, sounded disgusted after the game, saying, quote, I figure you should have some more respect for the game and for the players, Zabanajad said. I don't honestly know where to start. It's just horrible. Zero respect. I don't know why I'm surprised. Yeah. It's just horrible. Um, Wilson was fined the maximum allowed under the current CBA, $5,000. Um, now, making $5.16 million a year, the $5,000 to him, if you do the math correct, is about $75 to someone making $75,000. He's reportedly don- donated $1.3 million of the salary of his, uh, in, of his salary in his five career suspensions and two prior fines. Um. Yeah, so that, that's basically the gist of it. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, mm-hmm. lot, lot, lots. lots of factoids I had, to, I had to get in there. And of course, since that event, uh, and we may as well get into this right now, uh, this, this of course resulted from that. With three games left in the regular season that has seen nothing but progress, just a little over three years removed from the letter, 
announcing a rebuild process that the Rangers owner, James Dolan, approved, if not outright ordered. Dolan set fire to the whole thing. Scorch earth. He burned it from the top to the bottom. Dolan on last Wednesday fired Rangers president John Davidson and GM Jeff Gordon. Davidson has been team president for less than two years after previous runs with, runs with the organization as a player and broadcaster. Gordon has been there since 07, including a stint as longtime GM Glenn Sather's assistant and became GM on July 1, 2015. Chris Jury, who had been promoted to associate GM and was GM of the uh, Hartford AHL affiliate this season, was announced as the new president and general manager. According to a team source, Jury's role is not interim. It's a permanent as anything can be under Dolan. Uh, the next big shoe to drop was, of course, the firing of David Quinn, much to Kyle Chagrin, uh, the coach who had signed a four-year deal with the Rangers coming from Boston College just a few short years ago. Um, so, yeah, that's basically it. You have the Wilson suspension. You have the Davidson firing. You have the Gordon firing. And then, of course, just yesterday, breaking news, uh, the, the firing of David Quinn. So lots, lots to unpack there. Uh, I will start with you, Kyle. Nice. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, exactly. Where do I go? Um, well, first of all, some context should be, should be afforded. Uh, this we've had a lot of time to marinate on this kind of topic. And, and this was a topic that we almost had to create an emergency show for, but we decided to, to let it air out, um, for a little bit, I guess we'll start with the, the Wilson stuff first. Uh, and we'll talk about the, the dirty play, the, the suspendable play in, in many people's eyes. Um, again, this is something I was watching this game live. So I had the full experience. I, I was watching the, la- I was doing Lafreniere tracking, of course. And, uh, and I saw it all happen. And uh, my immediate reaction was, you know, as many people were, I was uh, appalled. I was, I was, um, you know, disgruntled. I was saying, wow, this guy, this has got to be a suspension. This is crazy how this is allowed to happen. Now that I've sat on it a little bit, I, I look over the play. The hair pull was the thing for me that, that pushed it over the edge. I think for a regular season game, I think that's absolutely a suspendable offense. Uh, what he did with Panarin with the, with the hair pull and, and getting him to the ground and that kind of thing. I think that's totally suspendable offense. However, if you were to copy paste this exact situation into the playoffs, I think this is a scrum. And, uh, and, and that's, where, that's where I stand now on it. I think the NHL and George Peros could have avoided a lot of drama if they just suspended him for a game. You know, I, I don't think that would have ruffled any feathers. I think if you just suspended for a game, everyone would have been happy. Uh, but instead, we got what we got. And hey, that's not the end of the world either because what we saw was, you know, the Rangers responding the way they did, which drew the NHL a lot of, uh, a lot of attention. But uh, I'll just start with that, with my take on the scrum. Uh, I know there was a shot to Bushnevich as, as he was down. I think it was a dirty play, finable for sure. I'm not sure that was totally suspendable. He didn't put too much force into it. Um, but that's where I uh, stand on that play, if we want to start with that. Michael Robson. Um, yeah, I think sitting on it, you start to realize that perhaps it wasn't as bad as it initially appeared. But I think what this incident has done is it's clearly shown that the NHL has failed to put a repeatable process 
in place to actually manage these types of conflicts because uh, I think it came out after the game that the way they review plays is they take the player's name out of it and they just review the incident as is. And if they decide that that's suspendable, then they bring in whether the player has a history to actually to actually judge whether they should extend that suspension due to uh, the repeat offender rule. And I think at the end of the day, that removes a lot of the context that is necessary to properly adjudicate over an issue such as this. Because what they did, for example, was they looked specifically at the punch to Bujnevich's head. They, I think, cut out the context of the scrum afterwards. They cut out the fact that it was Tom Wilson. And I think right. it led to them finding a thousand when a suspension of one game probably would have been appropriate for the events as a whole. The other concern I have, uh, having now sat through bar materials for the last couple of weeks, is the issue of precedent, right? Like you set the precedent that a player like Tom Wilson can ragdoll any player smaller than them and get away with it without any sort of penalty. And people, people were up in arms about, oh, protection of star players. Oh, like, why are you trying to protect star players? There are so many other players in the league. I don't think it's just about star players. It's about any player who's small. If Nathan Gerby had gotten, you know, ragdolled like this by Tom Wilson and gotten seriously injured, I think that should also be a cause for concern. Um, it, we we're fortunate that Panarin didn't suffer a serious enough injury to warrant taking this incident out of hockey court and into real court. Um, but I think it was a dangerous play and player safety should have adjudicated more strongly on the entire incident. Yeah, I mean, I think that $75 for someone who makes, you know, a $75,000 salary, I think that speaks volumes, right? I mean, it wasn't punitive enough with the fine. And then, you know, how is he going to dictate his behavior if, if he's just getting a slap on the wrist like that? And the lack of suspension, I mean, I think it, I think it bothered everybody. Um, and I, I don't think that same mistake happens if you have an actual impartial third party sitting behind that player safety desk. You know, I, you have Peros, a kind of a rough guy back in the day himself. Maybe, maybe he's a little blinded. Maybe he's wearing the rose colored glasses, but if you bring in somebody who's totally outside of hockey, bring in a judge, you know, per se, I think that would probably change things because then they could just look at a standard. They can apply the standard and they're not biased in any way with a prior playing career. You know, they have the information at their disposal and they make a judgment call. So, I think this will be a big learning curve and a big learning moment for the NHL to potentially replace that chair, that position with someone who may be more qualified because I, I it's hard to find people who supported this decision. Who's you know, every, almost every opinion where the three of us seem to be agreeing here. Almost every opinion you've heard from any, any pundit has been that they just got this wrong. Um, so I think that's the number one takeaway. Um, and then, of course, the following game, you have the like line brawl. You have the Brendan Smith fight with with Wilson. I mean, does any of that happen if the guy is suspended? Probably not. So it 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 would mitigate all of that and all that nonsense. And it was it was a stupid game. It was good. It was good for TV. It was good for you who like watching six different fights in a game. But people were fighting each other for no reason. As Brendan Smith said, the only guy I wanted to fight, the only guy I had beef with was Tom Wilson. I didn't care about anyone else. Little Carl Haglin is getting in a fight in the opening face-off. He, he shouldn't even be there. So 
it's uh it's 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 a it's a it's a complicated story it's it's multi-layered um but i think that's mm. the ultimate takeaway so I, what i want to just quickly yeah. uh, add on something there um this the the way a lot of the way a lot of people took this was really warped by what media you consume like me my first initial reaction obviously i go to my twitter and the people on my feed were all singing the same tune but then when i started hearing kind of other kind of takes on it that's when i started to kind of retract my 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 thinking a little bit um, now, what I want to ask about you guys is, and I'm someone who totally hates Tom Wilson. I've always hated Tom Wilson. I hate Washington. I think he's he's a dangerous player. Um, but in this case, um, I just want to ask you guys, do you think Tom Wilson um, has the potential and is, is the type of guy to one day potentially seriously... And he's probably already done it in several ways, but like get out—he's a guy that gets out of control. Do you think he's a guy who can seriously get out of control and, and do serious damage? And another question, just to, and answer that, and then follow up: Would you have him on, on your hockey team? Uh, I'll start with the second question. Absolutely, this guy's a bona fide stud in the NHL. He—he is—he's a, a star player in the NHL. He, he plays every role you could want as, as a coach. I want him on my team because he, he can kill penalties as good as anybody. He, for a big guy, he's fleet as foot can get around the ice, can check at both ends of the ice. Um, he is a power play beast in front of the net. He can play in the bumper position too. He's a valuable asset in that, in that respect. So he fills both special team requirements and then he's proven he can be a top six, a bona fide top six forward. Um, so who can easily put up, you know, 60 to 65 points a year. So I think that I, I think he's a bona fide stud and yes, he can get an over control sometimes, but you know, from what you've heard, I, I think people have attested to his character. You know, he, he seems to be a high character guy <clears throat> despite, you know, antics like this. And so I, I think I'd be happy to have him on my team so long as he can, you know, learn to put this stuff, you know, tuck it in his pocket and, and, and just forget about it. Um, now that's yet to be determined if he can do that. So far, his track record's not so good. Uh, but I mean, I'm willing to take that risk if he's contributing at the rate he's done so in his career. So I'll pass the baton to you, Michael. Uh, yeah. So I'll start with the second question as well. 100%, I would have him on my team. I think he is a great model for the modern day NHL power forward. And can fit sort of anywhere in your lineup that you want to play him. Um, with regards to the first question about whether he will seriously injure someone, I actually think as much as I was talking about how we're fortunate Panarin wasn't injured more than he was. Um, I think that you saw some restraint from Wilson. It was pushing and pulling. It was throwing the guy up and down, but I think if he was going to snap, he could have easily started to throw punches at Panarin and he didn't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I think for all that he can get heated and get lost in the moment, Tom Wilson does have an awareness of what's appropriate in the circumstances. Um, doing the little muscle thing in the penalty oh, box so is, dumb. is dumb, but I, I don't think that, I don't think that he is going to lose his cool and hurt somebody mm. in his playing career. Yeah. So first of all, 
totally agree with you guys. I'd have him on my team as well. Uh, to, to kind of paint that picture, whenever Pittsburgh is playing Washington, I, I really fear for my favorite players whenever they play Washington. That's just That kind of sums up what he does for your team. Um, now, another, another thing I want to go back to is I mentioned that this play in the playoffs is more commonplace, and this probably wouldn't be a, a much of a talking point at all. Uh, that's just the way I see it. And then another thing I wanted to ask you guys is these kinds of plays from what I'm hearing from other people who were around for the era, these kinds of plays were commonplace in hockey for decades, for generations. I even heard of the, the Mark Messiers of, of the world, one of the best players to ever play. This was his thing, man. This, this is what he used. Ever, these guys used to do this. Um, now, my question is, you know, this doesn't happen in the NHL a lot. Obviously, that's why it's such a topic. Is it good or is it bad to have, uh, you know, a little bit more more rough around the edges kinds of play like like this? I mean, from a marketing standpoint, we've seen it. It can do wonders for the for the league. But is it the way you guys want your game to go from a personal standpoint? I, I I'm not into the whole Pierre Maguire soccer mom viewpoint. You know, I I I, I subscribe to the notion. You know the game should be played as it, as it always has, and 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 that's the physical aspect of the game, right? I'm a, I'm a historian by nature, and I think the same can apply to sports and in hockey in particular, where it, it's it's the physical part of the game. But th- this debate's been going on for decades, this past decade, decades. Like it's 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 past <laughs> its expiry date in my mind, and I think. You know, we, we've we've seen tilts like this uh, in, in the past 10 years in the playoffs of the regular season. It always sparks the same debate. But I, I, I don't know. I subscribe to the notion things should always be as as they have been. Um, and and it makes for better television and it makes for better personalities. And this is how you create rivalries in the league. And this is how you create, uh, you know, uh, you know, fan bases hating each other. It's good for the game. It makes money for the game. And th- th- this is just how it should be. It, it, it's always been this way. This is what keeps hockey as a different sport than any other sport in the world. It, it, it's that physical mm-hmm. element. Not only do you have the most skilled players in the league playing arguably the most difficult sport in the league from a physical standpoint, but you also have this whole other dynamic, this whole other nasty, brutish physical envi- uh, environment that just enhances the game. And, and it's unprecedented. And there's no sport like it. And I think if you take stuff like this out of the game and you're a little too draconian in that respect, then you risk losing the identity of, of what the game really is. So that, that would be, that would be probably be my opinion on that take, Mike. Uh, I agree that you have to keep some of the physicality. I think I'd look towards two sports as sort of examples of where I think the NHL should go. And one of them is UFC and the other one is the NBA. I think the UFC has done a really good job of marketing sort of a balanced, a balanced fight between their fighters. Like they try to match up people who are really good matches for each other. They go up against each other. They've marketed it well, but people go to see both the skill, the technicality and, and the violence, right? Like that's what the UFC sells. Um, I think the NBA, they've focused a lot on protecting their players and protecting their stars. And it's led to very high paced, fast, offense but at the same time people critique the nba for 
having players flop and having players not be physical enough and how it's too easy to be a star now in the NBA. So I think what, what the NHL can take away from those is you need a system that protects players, but you need a system that protects players without taking away what makes the sport exciting to watch and unique. And part of that is the violence, right? Like mm-hmm. body checking is always going to be part of the game. Fighting is always going to be part of the game. And with the officiating, the Tim Peel issue that came up earlier in the year, it's clear that at some point the players also have to officiate the game. That's always been part of hockey. It's part of the NHL. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with promoting that. There's nothing wrong with leaning into that a little bit, but you have to balance that with protecting your players and having, it doesn't have to be huge fines or huge suspensions for players who cross the line but there has to be some sort of penalty system that is consistent and that makes sense. And I think that's mm-hmm. what, that's what people are drawing an issue with the Tom Wilson. Uh, the Tom Wilson incident is that the fine didn't make sense and there was mm-hmm. no suspension. hundred percent. And, and I'm so glad you got to the point of, you know, the, the idea of player policing and because I'll, I'll come, I'll come right out and say it when, I saw that following game when all those guys were dropping the gloves. Uh, I, I got I got a little emotional, and I'll, and I'll say this right off the hop: I'm not one for staged fighting. If you were to play a regular season game and two guys, two tough guys, drop the gloves, I honestly turn away. But if it's an emotional, emotionally driven act, like you took out my star player. You took out my friend, and he now he's injured. And it was it was a play that it was a mismatch, like a Tom Wilson on on a Panarin. And you dropped the gloves for that reason. I'm all for it. I, I'm saying that's what makes hockey so special. And and I think I I got emotional that game because we haven't seen this for a while. Honestly, like when's the last time we had a real emotional? You know, we're going out there and we're gonna fight for our for our comrades kind of thing. Like that's what makes the playoffs so endearing in so many ways is because these these rivalries can bull up and and real legitimate uh, you know rivalries and battles and anger even can can come to the forefront. It's so rare nowadays in the regular season. That's why it was just such a I wouldn't I don't want to call it a relief, but I was so so proud of how the Rangers handled it, and uh, and I think. I don't know. To me, I think because it got so much news and, and media coverage, I think it could potentially change the way the, the game is, is heading in, in the future in a minor way. But I think it, it's big enough to cause change. So speaking of the way the Rangers handled it, you saw the statement, you saw the fallout from that. Um, what did you make of the of the firings? Were, did you buy it that it was all performance related or do you think that was just a smokescreen for 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 this uh for for the way they reacted here because apparently reading these statements this one from your favorite writer on the athletic rick carpinello kyle uh Mm. he he said a source told the athletic that dolan the owner was somewhere on the scale of peeved to incensed that jeff gordon (laughs) did didn't abandon the plan to whatever degree and sell some future for some present at the deadline to help the Rangers get into the playoffs. Dolan, as he did during the dark ages of the early 2000s, expected the Rangers to actually make the playoffs. He thought they underachieved. And that's beyond belief to me, says Carpinello. Do you agree with Rick here? 
Oh, Rick's spot on. I mean, any way you slice it, everybody knows the Rangers rebuild is going exactly as planned. They're in a, a great, great place. No one expected them to make the playoffs this year. Look at the juggernauts ahead of them. Okay, maybe I had Pittsburgh out, but the fact that Pittsburgh pulled up their socks and made it is no surprise. You know, it, it's it's just one of those things. And I think this Dolan guy is just one of those kooky owners who owns multiple sports teams. I think he owns the Knicks as well. And uh, and he's finally turned his attention to hockey and he goes, oh, they, they said they're rebuilding three, four years ago. Why aren't they in the playoffs yet? He doesn't get it. He doesn't know who these kids are. He doesn't understand the plan. And unfortunately for the, for the, for the plan that's going so well, it sounds like it's going to be taking a little bit of a turn and maybe we're going to start, you know, selling off some assets to, to start bringing things together now. But it, it's just ridiculous that this owner can just, you know, throw his thumb into the peanut butter and ruin it for everybody else because Rangers fans are nothing but thrilled. I promise you that uh, with how things are going. And, uh, and I'm curious to see what the next uh, domino to fall is. Yeah, I mean, I think you can look across the league at situations where owners have gotten hyper-involved in the management of the team. And the one that comes to mind, at least for me, is Eugene Melnick in Ottawa and how everything went down there. I think the last thing we need is James Dolan getting his hands in the honeypot, which is the New York Rangers. That being said, as somebody who truly believes that the New York Rangers underperformed this year, I think Davidson and Gordon probably should have kept their jobs. David Quinn, if not fired this year, should have been on the hot seat going into next year. They had like a fantastic PDO, fantastic core seat, and yet we're bottom of the league in expected goals because they, I think, were focused on the wrong things. They were focused on trying to control the puck, but they weren't letting their offensive players play. Um, I don't think that's Bingo. what Dolan was looking at, though. I don't think Dolan was looking at performance of the team or actually how they were playing. I think he looked at the product as a whole, said, oh, as Kyle said, three years ago, you said it was a rebuild. Why aren't we there yet? And mm-hmm. like people say this team has good players, thought it was the NBA, and said, let's bring in new people to manage it. Yeah. Just on that really quickly, I, David Quinn is a brutal coach. I've watched a lot of Rangers games now. The anemic offense, the, the, the transition game that this team has displayed is, is just pitiful. Like going from their end, out of their end, in any direction is terrible. Um, the fact that Lafreniere had no power play two time in the middle of the season is laughable. Absolutely laughable. Are you developing? Or are you trying to make the playoffs? Because it looks like you're doing neither. So I was just, that, that put me right off. The Quinn thing, I'm not surprised at. I, I'm very, I think that was the right call. But uh, yeah, this Dolan guy, he, I, I didn't even know who this guy was before this, but now he's like at the four, he's like Melnick level right now. In an instant, in a week, he became Melnick level in the, in the NHL. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I was always fond of David Quinn. I, I enjoyed his press conferences and I always tune in for those. So as, as I was going through my laugh track for the first, you know, 45 games of the season or so. I always enjoyed tuning into those. And and Kyle, you, like he might not be a great coach, 
But the reason he was brought in, and this came from a Rangers fan here in Kingston. He's in the law program by the name of Mike Wilkinson, this fellow. He's a Ranger fan by, by heart. Uh, and oh. and he, he told me the reason they brought David Quinn is, in is because he's, handsome. he's a headline guy. He, he speaks and it creates headlines in the paper. The quotes he wow. uses, it creates headlines. The big market in New York wanted that. They saw he had a winning <laughs> resume in Boston College and they brought him in. Mm. He creates headlines. And that's what Mike said was the main reason he was brought in. So, yeah, that and he certainly, uh, you know, that worked out. I mean, you saw the quotes he was saying about laugh and how he said he's got big balls and all that. jazz, <laughs> Right. So, um, so yeah, 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 that you nailed it. So, yeah. so but but you're right when it comes to the X's and the O's and putting the right forward lineup up and 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 concocting a plan, it, it kind of blew up in his face most nights. And and you saw yeah. that when he when he would have, you know, uh, uh like who who's that awful defenseman? He had Johnson on their on their third pairing like the whole season, right? Um I believe it was Johnson. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was just, it was, a, it was a brutal, brutal year. Uh, and, and he contributed a lot to that. So, I mean, I, I guess my, my follow-up question for you guys would be, uh, who do you see filling those shoes, the coaching gig? And secondly, is this probably the most coveted, uh, that, that, that this, that, you know, is this probably the most coveted coaching job in the NHL, just given the potential, the current talent, the potential and oh. in, in all that jazz, because, you know, you see guys lobbying for the job. You have Mark Messier go on the radio, you know, get, giving big quotes like, quote, you've got to mm-hmm. be able to win in the street and in oh, the I alley. Love that. Cool. Yeah, I'm sure you did. So a little, so, little over the top, but yeah. Yeah. Well, he's trying know. to lobby for the job and, and to, to get into New York, I, you got to be over the top. I right? don't know. I don't know. So I mean, what, you, what you're what saying, you he was speaking directly to Dole in there. Is that what you're saying? I do think so. He's he's a, he's wow. incre- he is lobbying for a job. That is what everyone is saying. Messier wants back in. So 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 it not might not may, may not be Messier. Maybe it's Rick Tockett. Maybe it's Gerard Gallant. Maybe it's Mike Babcock. Who who knows? So what do you what do you right. guys say here? Well, you nailed it. You absolute bingo bullseye. This job is going to be the most highly sought after coaching job. There is, period, for, for a long time. And uh, I have an inside source. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to divulge my secrets. But uh, put Gerard Gallant at the head of the spear here. Um, I'm not going uh, it, to... It's a, it's a very far-fetched source. It's ca- kind of a friend of a friend of, of someone I don't know. But uh, semi-reliable. And uh, I think that's, that's where I see it uh, going. With Jack Eichel as the top centerman on the team, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. Jump so, <laughs> Gerard Galland is the smart choice, but if you're looking for headline ability, somebody who's going to come in, do press conferences, and say shit that's going to make headlines, somebody who's going to come in and know how to manage big expectations in a big city and play with young stars, they're going to hire Babcock. No! I'm putting my money on it now. I like it. It just makes sense based on the criteria. I I don't I don't know if it will actually happen, but James Dolan is the type of owner where they could totally hire Babcock. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So we know Chris Drury. I saw a couple mm-hmm. interviews of him. 
this guy doesn't seem to me like a headline kind of guy. This guy seems like a very workman kind of, I'm here to get my job done and I'm going to hire the right people and I'm going to do everything by the book. Like he, That's the guy he strikes me as. I could be wrong. I don't know. Brennan Shanahan? Well, yeah, I, yeah, that, yeah, that he's seen the same way. So I don't know, but Babcock would be a controversial one. Yeah. And I don't know. You're going to have to ask, you're going to have to ask your owner, <laughs> Hey, do you want the right guy? And I think Drury, Drury will be straight up with him. Do you want the right guy, the best guy, or do you want the guy who's going to get a lot of clicks? And I don't know where that conversation goes. I'm not, I don't know the guy well enough. So. Well, and, and, and as far as the Babcock thing goes, like, look, personal issues aside, the guy has won. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's won Olympic, Olympic gold. He's won with good teams. And it, even in Toronto, Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews became the players who they are today by developing under Mike Babcock. I think yeah, yeah. he's got a track record <clears throat> of helping players reach, maybe not reach their potential, but definitely grow towards it. Um, is he going to be controversial? Absolutely. Is he the right voice for that locker room? I don't think so. Gerard Gallant, I think is the, is the best choice you can make as a Rangers GM. Yeah. And just furthering that I real I never minded Babcock as a coach. I, I think he's still a really great coach, but, but when I think of, when I think of the marquee pieces on the team, the Panarin's, the Lafreniere's, you know, the Adam Foxes on the back end. I'm trying to figure out if they jive with that kind of guy. And I don't know. I'm having a hard time. Like, you know what? I, I guess we can give Babcock this. He came into the Leafs organization when they were at a very low point. And we'll, we'll absolutely give him credit here. The guys that want, that were developing at the time, like you mentioned, the Austins, the Mitches, they developed... Uh, and and flowered to their full potential. So from a development standpoint, you might have something there. He might not be uh, a bad choice. I'm just, you know, if 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 management wants to say we want to win now, I it's it's a hard conversation. I and I think Gallant is the right way to go. But uh you know, you, when you bring that up and you frame it like that, I, it's hard for me to say. It, I, I wouldn't be surprised either way, to be honest. Let me throw two more hats into the ring. Pierre Maguire. God. Now that he's jobless. <laughs> Very funny. Um, <laughs> it's going to be homeless in a bit. The last, uh, the last coach that this Chris Jury guy employed, none other yeah. than John Tortorella. Oh no 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 no! You think no, this no, man no, no, no. can make a no, comeback? No 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 no! New York. No, no, no. I I honestly I say no chance on this. I, I'm I I think he's played out his rope in, in Columbus so heavily, and the whole line A situation puts him at horrible PR levels. Uh, and I I don't think they want to mess with that man. Like I I get it. He's he's he brings a culture. He brings an attitude. But I really it's such a gamble at this point. And uh, I don't see it. I don't, and I think it's a bad move straight off the, off the top. Like like the whole line situation is going to make everyone, every NHL organization treat him with very uh, an, an abundance of caution. I don't think this you, is the move. You need a very specific team for John Tortorella. Yeah, Montreal yeah, yeah, yeah. might actually be the closest you can get to it, and I don't right. see Montreal moving on from Duchamp. 
Um, I think Seattle could take a run at him depending on who they bring in. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't see Tortorella being a good fit for the players in New York. And the final one I'll oh, throw out there, and, and th- this, this would be the French Canadian connection. So you could form a little bit of a camaraderie with captain Alexi Lafreniere would be, uh, would be if you bring in and, and he's made his intentions known to return and he's the former teammate and good friend of Chris jury. And that's Patrick Waugh. Uh, could you see him going to the big lights of New York? So when Michael was describing Babcock, I was thinking Patrick Waugh. That, that was who it was in my head. And uh, oh boy, this, this, this would be a clicks. Uh, coaching hire this would be headlines you know this would be purely headlines and i know i know patrick wasman sniffing around the league again in, in not in, not in new york in particular but in general oh boy nick oh boy i this one would be my I, personal I, favorite this would this would be much watched oh, television oh, hey hey i yes i'd buy like all the subscription packages i'd buy my fandom all this crap uh fanatics everything this would be fantastic for the game. Do I think it'll happen? I'd like to you to answer me this if you can. What has Patrick Waugh done since he got fired from uh, Colorado? I don't know. I, he quit. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. So, he quit. And and I could be wrong on this, but uh, I think he was coaching in, in Co- the Quebec Ramparts. I could be wrong. Mm. But I'm not sure. But, yeah, no. I don't think it's going to happen, but I, we'd love... This is like Pierre co- uh, GMing the Pittsburgh, right? This is this is what that is, mm-hmm. in in a less specific way. Sure, it's what okay. we all want, but we're not going to get it. Yeah, yeah, I'll cross my fingers. Um, moving on to uh, a little more north, upstate New York, uh, to good old Buffalo, where uh, Kyle's best man, John Eichel. Gave, uh, gave gave him gave gave a very uh very big press conference. Uh, this coming courtesy of John Vogel of the Athletic. Jack, I- Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart were supposed to end the Saber suffering. Instead, they got caught up in it. They're ready to leave the pain behind. Buffalo fans should prepare for more. It's hard to imagine Eichel and Reinhardt skating in Sabres uniforms again. The prizes from Buffalo's tank years took differing approaches to their season exit interviews. Eichel dropped atomic bombs about his relationship with the team while Reinhardt voiced displeasure with the incessant losing. But the results were the same. They're ready to play elsewhere. Quote, I have a lot of thinking to do in the offseason, end quote. Eichel said, quote, there's a lot that I have to consider. It turns out Eichel's herniated disc isn't the only pain in his neck. The Sabres added to his misery by fighting against Eichel's desire for surgery. The organization has held firm that time and rehab will correct the ailment, which ended Eichel's season March 7, while the captain wants to take a more proactive approach. Uh, He went on to say, I've been a bit upset about the way that things have been handled here since I've been hurt. I'd be lying to say that things have moved smoothly since my injury. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a bit of a disconnect, I think, from the organization and myself. It's been tough at times. Right now, for me, I think the most important thing is just trying to get healthy and figure out a way to be available to play hockey next year, wherever that might be. Wherever that might be, were the bolded words to underline there. 
Those weren't Eichel's final words of the day, not even close, but they might have been the last words of his Buffalo career. The 24-year-old was already fed up with losing, adding personal issues to the professional woes has created a lethal combination. His teammate uh, Reinhardt went on to say, it's unfortunate that in this business, you almost need to kind of reset. It's just unfortunate for me being here how often that reset is. No one wants to go through a rebuild, especially going into next year, turning 26 at the start of it. Reinhardt was the Sabres' most productive player of the season, stepping up in Eichel's absence of 25 goals and 40 points in 54 games. Honestly, there's not much to take right now from this season, he said. Not really looking to be in the business, just to be in games. Even if Buffalo offered Reinhardt a long-term deal, it doesn't sound like he'd be interested. In terms of the future, he said, I don't really have much for you right now, Reinhardt said. That stuff's all going to get figured out when the time comes. Uh, teammate uh, Rasmus Rieselainen did not sh- uh, shy away from quotes as well, saying, <laughs> for me, I can't go for another rebuild or wait multiple years. For me, I mean, we have to get to the playoffs next year. For me, it's either here or or then elsewhere. Um, so yeah, some big, big quotes there. Um just uh, like an atomic bomb worth of things coming from the Eichel conference. Um, oh boy. I mean, my favorite was when the, when the reporter was like, I mean, uh, Jack, I mean, it's your body. You can decide what you want to do. And he goes, it's not that easy, Paul. It's not that simple, Paul. <laughs> that was my favorite. I love this. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, this is a, an interesting episode because you could make a whole episode around the Rangers situation. You could make a whole episode around the Eichel situation. This is an atomic bomb in the hockey world. And let it be a lesson to every general manager out there. Uh, if you don't get your rebuild right and it's just ever, it's just never ended, things like this can happen. Um, I want to add a little bit of information to this little narrative that I picked up from 31 Thoughts. The particular surgery that Eichel is rumored to be going after, um, it's a surgery that at least Elliot' perspective, he, he doesn't know a player that has had it and come back successfully is kind of how he wrote it. So that's a, that's a very fascinating narrative. Now, now I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate for the Buffalo perspective from a managerial side. Eichel wants to have this surgery, which has no track record of being successful for NHL players. And they're like, hey, man, like, how about you uh, pull the McDavid and don't have the surgery and, uh, and go that route? So it, it's such a fascinating scenario. And, and I don't for one second blame Eichel. Reinhardt's a different story for me, but I do not blame Eichel for wanting out. I think it's well past due. I think he's earned the right. He's 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 shown his greatness enough in Buffalo to deserve this kind of, um, you know, this this platform to 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 request this kind of thing. Now he hasn't publicly publicly requested a trade, but let's be honest, he has requested a trade in every other sense of uh, of the matter. So. It's a sticky situation because now you look at what is the injury, right? So now it becomes sticky for other teams wanting to trade for him. Um, It's a fascinating story that's not completely written yet, and uh, and I I just I watch with uh, with you know such interest to see what happens next. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you look back to there were there was one summer after the Oilers missed the playoffs where McDavid came out with comments essentially saying that um, he was disappointed in the progress of the team. And mm-hmm. since then, Shirelli's been fired. They brought in Ken Holland. Uh, and they they look like they're turning the ship around, right? I think they've got some, some good young defensemen coming up, <clears throat> some solid forward prospects. Um, and I think they're going to be okay. I, I don't know once the divisions go back to normal, if they will be a top two team in their division, but with a guy putting up 104 points in 51 or sorry, 55 games, um, they're doing okay with Eichel. I wonder if these comments could be the impetus for something similar in Buffalo. I think it's a lot harder to move a player like Eichel on a 10 and a half million deal with the injury concerns Kyle mentioned, um, than people think it is. Uh, if he does get moved, I think he likely ends up in New York with the Rangers. But I, I actually think they're going to find it very hard to move him. And I think this is basically putting the team and management on notice that they've got one year to start to show that they're actually doing the right things. I don't think it's a get me out of here now. I think this is a you've got you've got a year to really show me that you care about making us a winner. Right. And really important information to go along with that is Eichel has a no movement clause, but it doesn't kick in until 2022. So Buffalo technically has a little bit of a little bit of power here over Eichel. So they could enforce what Michael said and say, hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to play out the year and you're going to play out the year. And, uh, and you know, that we hold the cards right now. So um it, you're right. It, it, it could be a situation that doesn't play out immediately. But uh, I don't know. For a, pl- a player of this stature, you feel like this. he has, he has a gravity to him that is going to influence a lot of decisions. And, um, and, and then you look at Kevin Adams as a general manager, and, and <laughs> you just like, is this, this, is, this is the guy that's going to handle this very, very tricky situation. I don't see how Buffalo wins um in this situation in any respect on any timeline whether it's this summer or whether it's next summer i don't see a win here like it's just it's so sad because uh, don't get me wrong let's not kid ourselves if eichel moves the rebuild is at square one again and then you talk about sam reinhardt and then you talk about risto we're at square one boys and we're already at square one we're at square one right now what the fucking hell is going to happen to this team, man? Oh, my God. Kelly's corner is going nuts right now. Jesus Christ. The only thing uh, I'll add on the, uh, the do you keep him for another year front is I think the quote from Kevin Adams yesterday <clears throat> said about everything you need to know about that, saying, quote, we are going to get this right with the people who want to be here. So I, I think that right in itself was enough to, to throw him to the wayside. And I, and I think personally, this, this deal will get done before the draft in July. So I, wow. expect, I, I expect John Eichel will be on his way shortly. Um, and I expect that will most likely be somewhere warm. Uh, my, my sources tell me wow. he's, he's been in Florida this entire time uh, that, that, the, that the Sabres have been finishing their season. So he will be somewhere hmm. warm. And my prediction... Are the LA Kings? 
Uh, I, I think they're okay. one of the, the few, one of the few teams that have the prospect pool to pull this off. One of the few teams right. that have the salary cap to take on a $10 million contract with all those veteran contracts expiring shortly. Um, I think it's one of the few teams that are fit. The, the, the Sabres would not have to see them very often. I can't see them trading them to the Rangers where it's your, it's your cross state rivals. You're going to have yep. to wel- welcome them to your arena four or five times a year. It, it's too much, too much to handle. And, and, and this young Kevin Adams, he'd be under too much <clears throat> vitriol uh, to make that move. So I, I, I think, it's it, it's got to be somewhere far. It's got to be somewhere with with the with the with the people that can give you a solid return, um, and 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 there where you can make the money work. And I think it's going to be the LA Kings. So there's my prediction. All right, I, I've got two questions for you. So I'm going to ask the first one, and I, I'd really like uh, for you to circle back to me after. I want your guys' take on. You know, we've talked about the situation, the injury, the management, all that. I want your guys' take on now what everything you know considered. What do you think of Jack Eichel, the captain, the leader, the player? Do you want him on your team? Is this Does this sully your opinion of him at all? I, I want to know where you guys stand on that right now. Uh, I mean, for me personally. Yeah, oh, no, go ahead, go ahead No, you go ahead. <laughs> Uh, for me personally, it doesn't. I think he's put the team on his back and tried to carry them in the past. This doesn't seem like a leadership issue. It's very much personal between him and management. So I, I don't think it affects how I view his character or his leadership ability. Yeah, I, 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 I actually, uh, I liked his comments. <clears throat> it's about the way that, that's probably the way I would have handled the press conference. If I'm if I'm that pissed off about this organization. And they're not letting me go with my second opinion through a doctor. And they're they're enforcing these rules and not letting me use my agency, despite being their star. Um, I I would have every right to be incensed, and 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 I appreciate the the candidness he spoke with. You know, you don't see that often in this league. Too many guys are are too afraid to say anything nowadays. And I I admired the way he spoke and the, and the tone he spoke with. So. I see it as a guy who's incensed. He has every right to be incensed and was just getting stuff off his chest. You know, it's like he was held in prison and now he finally had a chance to, to, to speak out about this stuff that's going on behind the scenes. So I wouldn't say he's a, I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't want to paint him in a bad light. Sure. He's made their job tougher now, you know, to, to Joseph Camilleri's point. Now they're, they're forced to trade him for, for pennies on the dollar. But, uh, but Hey, they, uh, you could argue they had it coming to them based on how they handled this medical situation. So I'm all, I'm, I'm all for him. I'm welcoming him to uh, Southern California. Right. I, I, I would agree. I, I don't think, uh, I know there's some takes out there that, that are questioning his leadership, but uh, I don't buy that. I think he's probably tried to handle this in-house as much as he could have. And this was his next option. Uh, second question is, I mean, you, I know you mentioned, you mentioned LA, Nick, and Michael, you mentioned New York. Uh, I just want to get a feel for what you think that uh, the assets coming back would look like. Are we talking about a Turcotte? Are we talking about even bigger, a, a Byfield? What, like, what, are you, what are you feeling? And, and Michael, would it be something like a Caco or would it be something a bit of a lesser value, like a Kravtsov and a first or something like that? My... My sources tell me from LA that a deal involving Turcotte, Velarde, and a uh, 
a second round pick would not get it done. Um, for for Buffalo, or f- that would that would not be enough for Buffalo. Right. Uh, so right. so based on what I'm hearing, uh, they don't wow. want they don't want a bunch of pieces. They don't want you know Velarde and and Turcotte in the second rounder. They want one piece or two really good pieces. And and I think that starts with our friend of the show, Quentin Byfield. And and I think if you're trading away a center, mm-hmm. you need to bring a center in. And uh, and I, I think that's yeah. the mindset they'd have. So I'd expect it would be Byfield, uh, a, a a high pick, and, and and some other supporting cast member. That that would be my ask. If if you could, if the Kings could get him without having to trade any of those, you know, blue chip prospects. Um, I, I think you'd make that deal. If you have to give up a first rounder or some more picks, I think that's fine. Because quite frankly, I, I think they've they've accrued so many draft picks recently. They've spent them all in the draft. They haven't traded away those picks. You saw how many picks they had just in last year's draft, which was an amazing draft. Yeah. These next two drafts, because they're not as strong, you can afford to trade away those picks because you've already used your picks that you accumulated for the better drafts that just transpired. So right. my mindset is, trade away these picks. I don't care if they give up a first rounder or a second rounder as well. Um, go ahead and do it. If, if it's where, if it can get you this, this, this elite, elite center. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Before I say what I think I'd put together as a Rangers GM as not, not as the initial, because I think it's a bargaining process. So your initial needs to be a little bit lower than what I'm going to suggest, but I think Byfield is in an ideal situation for him in LA. And I personally would hate to see him end up in Buffalo. Uh, I understand that might be what it takes to get it done, but I, I would be very disappointed for his own personal development. If he, if he ended up there Um, for the Rangers, I think you start with Truba and Kako. Right. And I think you move on from the $7 million contract you're given to Truba you give Buffalo a defenseman who realistically they can slot in in their top four. And I think Kako mm-hmm. at this point, like it's hard to move on from a guy who's only two years removed from the draft, but I think that's the talent you have to put in there to get the deal done. <clears throat> right. But you, you, you don't uh, laugh. No, I was just going to ask you is laugh a non-starter if you're the Rangers GM. Same, same with Byfield. If I'm the LA GM. Yeah. So uh, Both apparently, of those guys, yeah. apparently uh, Carpinello, he went on the record and said there's three untouchables on the Rangers roster. Do you want to guess who the three untouchables are, Kyle? Laugh, Adam Fox, and Panarin. Uh, you got the I first two, the right? Second. You got the first two, right? The third one is Capo Caco. So uh, those are the three untouchables. Really? Yep. Untouchables? Yep. Untouchables. Untouchables. That's a little much, don't you think? What are you talking about? They're they're supposed they're supposed to be their top of the draft players. I know, but I mean, you can't call him untouchable. He's like Fox, he's, Fox is going to win a Norris Trophy, and and no, laughing, I, I'm laughing. Kako are Kako. They're supposed to be stars in the league. I'm talking simply Kako. He's a good. He's a great player, but I mean the way the yes. way they see it in New York, Kako and Lafreniere are analogous. No guy is better than the other. They are they are toe to toe. Come on, believe it. You can disagree. You're entitled to disagree. The guys, he had his second year after being a second overall pick, and he, he's on pace for 30 points. Like, what do you like? How is that untouchable worthy? You know, 
they, he they didn't, think uh, they think Kako had the better year than Lafreniere. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. I, I mean, I know, but like, seriously, you can't call him untouchable. I, I don't even know for, for Jack Eichel, you can't call him untouchable. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, there how, you have how it. Come, how, how come Byfield is, is not untouchable then? I didn't say he's not untouchable. I said that's what would be required to get the deal done. But my sources, yeah, yeah. my sources also added that if in ninety nine percent of deals where someone calls Rob Blake asking for Quentin Byfield, he hangs up the phone right away. Right. Is this deal one of those one percents? Who knows. But all I can say with confidence is ninety nine percent of the time you're getting a hang up. Yeah, and that's fair enough. That is fair enough. Okay. Shall for we the record, on? well, yeah. just for the record. A Buffalo team in, in four years with Byfield and Cousins as your top two centers. Kind of neat. Kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very neat. Yeah. I mean, the other question is you bring up Lafreniere. Does Buffalo even want Lafreniere, right? Because if, if they oh, fuck, him, if, of course. If they view him as more of a winger, though, you're losing a yeah. center and you're and you're adding a guy who might not be able to be a center. We've had that debate Fair. on this show. We yeah, we're yeah, we're yeah, a little yeah. more, we're a little more uh, you know. Uh, optimistic about him potentially being a center, but we don't know what Buffalo thinks. And 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 don't forget, they just passed up on a center in the draft. They could have had Marco Rossi, and they passed up on Marco Rossi and took uh, and took Quinn. And you see where Quinn is yeah. now. So they need centers. So if there's if there's a guy coming the other way, yeah. it's a center. It needs that's, to be right. That's why yeah. even even if Lafreniere was on the block, I don't even think they'd be interested. To be honest, good po- good point. And and to add to that, Sam Reinhardt played a lot of center this year with Jack Eichel being out, and he played great. And he wants out too. Yeah. So he's, he's center gets too. even thinner, even thinner. Yes, sir. Who do you think's next? Rasmus Dalin's going to have a press conference, or is he too quiet mouthed? Nah, he he's not there yet, man. Like okay. he he hasn't been established as much. Like uh, like I'll, I'll tell you this: if Sam Reinhardt didn't score all those goals. He wouldn't be shooting his mouth off, I don't think. If he had a poor year, he wouldn't be shooting his mouth off. Fair. Okay. You have to earn. You have to earn these kinds of yeah. press conferences. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Speaking of young players being injected into the league, um, we have a couple of. Or you know what? Yeah. Okay. We'll go from here. We 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 have a couple of uh, debuts to speak of here, Kyle. Um. What did you make of uh, the much-anticipated Alex Newhook debut for the uh, Colorado Avalanche? Yeah, so he debuted on the Burakovsky line. Burakovsky's very hot right now, by the way. Um, and it was it, it was technically the second line. Uh, Newhook looks right at home, man. Like what? It, like it's it's really fascinating to see. He plays with a lot of pace. His playmaking skills are are right there. It's clear to me now that guys coming straight up, guys who are really good in college, make a really nice, easy transition to the NHL. That that's what I'm starting to realize. Um, Newhook is the prototypical Colorado Avalanche player. This guy is speedy as hell. He's got a good brain on him, and he's got great character. He's going to fit right in. I think he's here to stay for playoffs, perhaps not in a second-line role, but uh, he can absolutely handle the pace. Um, I'm not sure if the physical uh, ability is there yet with, with the whole 
you know, the simply physical ability as in like strength and all, and all that. But uh, yeah, he, he looks great. He looks great. He's got a couple points now. Uh, nothing too major goal wise or, or primary assist wise, but he looks good. Very good. So he will be in the playoff lineup of, of Jared Bednar's uh, lineup on game one. Uh, I am 50, 50 on that. He, he could, he could play and he could definitely fit in. I, I don't know physically if, if he's ready for it though, but mm-hmm. as, as a black ace, he'd be an amazing black ace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting stuff. I, for one, have not seen any of him, so I, I, I can, I simply cannot comment here. Uh, Michael, do you have anything to say? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen him either. I watched a like Avs three sixty five um, or Avs three sixty video on NHL, and the one thing that stood out to me, at least long term, is that he's continuing to he's continuing to finish off the courses he was enrolled in at Boston College while he's also been playing for the team, and I think that that's a very positive sign, maybe not for this year's playoffs, but at least long-term for his career with the Avs. What's his, uh, what's his major, Michael? Couldn't tell you, but I know he was writing a philosophy paper in the, ah, uh, in, in the video. Interesting. Yeah. Does that, does that get your respect, uh, Kyle? Is that character points? Uh, <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. He's a philosopher. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. It might not be as major, but uh, <laughs> you know what? Doesn't move the needle for me. How about okay. that? Okay, fair enough. Doesn't move um, the needle for me. I, one, I'm one, glad that he's finishing yeah. his courses, though. That's a great yeah. sign. I like, I like that. One guy yeah. that I can comment on was the NHL debut of young Peyton Krebs with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, many people will have tuned in to see a beautiful pass. He got his first NHL point in his first game. A beautiful pass right onto the mm-hmm. tape of Alex Tuck that sprang him in for a breakaway uh, that, that that beat the uh, Minnesota netminder. <clears throat> um, all in all, here are just some stats. His, his debut, by all accounts, were a success. Uh, he didn't attempt a single shot, but he led all Golden Knights in Corsi percentage while on the ice. Uh, in the nine minutes Krebs was on the ice, Vegas had a 9-4 edge in shot attempts, a 7-2 edge in shots on goal, a 4-2 edge in scoring chances, and most importantly, a two-on advantage on the scoreboard. So there you go. An exceptional debut for, uh, for the highly touted prospect, Peyton Krebs. What did you think, Kyle? I saw the assist. It was, it was a thing of beauty. It sprung him right down the middle. Uh, I'm glad. I think of the journey he's had with that, that uh, Achilles injury. I'm so glad he's, he's made it. Uh, real, he's a guy we all root for on the show here. So uh, I just want to see more success. Uh, hopefully that injury isn't too bad for him. Yeah, I, uh, I loved his game at the World Juniors. Um, when I was doing research, because I missed the debut for Krebs as well, but when I was doing research, uh, he was able to actually slot in on the top line with Pacioretty injured um, for a little bit with Vegas, which I think is really impressive. I think both him and Newhook are great players to keep an eye on for where they end up in the lineup for next year's fantasy draft as deep picks. Mm. Um, because I think that they're both going to be really good players. And uh, I'm really excited to see how their careers pan out. Yeah. Uh, 
almost again, like it's so exciting talking about these young players come the end of the season because they're finally getting these shots to get injected into these lineups. And, uh, and, and you're seeing it all, all come to fruition. Um, okay, a couple more things before we head on to junior hockey, because I know you both are itching to talk about that. Oh, my God, uh, what a loaded to, show. Just to get some things out of the way from the NHL, uh, two coaches are leaving their team just to get back on the coaching talk. So, so Rick Tockett will not be returning to Arizona. So that's just for everyone's information. And then, of course, the other big one, uh, John Tortorella, will not return as coach of the Blue Jackets. That, of course, is why we spoke about him earlier. Uh, he was the win- winningest coach in franchise history. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he goes, uh, he, he, he leaves on a bit of a sour note, um, not, not making the playoffs, uh, after, after a, a hell of a run last year. Um, so just, just some concluding statistics in 40, 447 games behind the bench. Uh, he was two, two twenty seven, one sixty six, and 54, a winning percentage of five sixty eight. Uh, his 673 career wins are 12th on the all time NHL's list among us born coaches. So, uh, we bid, we bid farewell to, uh, to John Tortorella. And, uh, I, I certainly wish him the best in his, uh, in his, uh, in his job endeavors moving forward. And then the other thing, uh, to keep track of just this past weekend, uh, Connor McDavid, uh, got past the hundred point plateau, uh, in, 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 in a great fashion. He had a four point night against Edmonton, uh, which, which was huge for them. Uh, and of course, uh, Math- uh, Austin Matthews, since our last show, crossed the 40 goal plateau. Uh, he also scored last night, so he's up to 41 goals now. Or, sorry, is it more than that? Oh, do, you, do you guys I believe? I think yeah, 41 is yeah. 41. Okay, so my, uh, I'll ask this question for you guys Are you more impressed with the scoring pace of Austin Matthews or the uh, or, or, or the uh, or the pace of uh, of 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 Connor McDavid's in this shortened COVID season? McDavid. <laughs> no i'm sorry for being a dick um yeah i think the mcdavid thing is just oh i i don't even know what to say like i think this is i think we're seeing one of the most skilled players that's ever played the game i'm just saying i'm in awe i'm in absolute utter shock most nights he straps on the skates not to take away from what matthews has done because that's incredible as well but uh, it's it's almost I'm almost at a loss for words with with the stuff McDavid's doing. I I mean statistically we haven't seen this since Lemieux, and the fact that it's like the modern day NHL and yeah it's a bit of a weird season. But uh, oh my gosh, no one's been able to do what he's he's been able to do ever probably ever. That's that's true. Uh, take this stat with a grain of salt because I didn't fact check it. But um, apparently, Connor McDavid, after this season, will now own the best scoring season era adjusted in NHL history. So adjusted for era, he now has a better season than any of Gretzky's. And it's from this season right now. Wow. Yeah, as far as not seeing anything like this since Lemieux, both players are doing things that we haven't really seen since Lemieux. Um, what bothers me the most about this is like, I grew up as a Canadian hockey fan convinced that if I liked Crosby, I had to hate Ovechkin. And for Mm. years it deprived me of being able to enjoy what Ovechkin was doing. And I think 
uh, at least my my outlook on this is what McDavid's doing is far and away superior to what Matthews is doing, but it doesn't stop us from being able to appreciate both. And it's just what they've been able to do in the Canadian division this year, even though some people will say that no team in this division knows how to fucking defend. Uh-huh. Um, I think I think it's it's been amazing to watch and a lot of fun to at least as a fan be a part of. And it's great to have them both in the Canadian division, right? I mean, you, you arguably have the two best young stars in the game. And that's arguable. I mean, other people will throw their hats into the ring, Nathan McKinnon among them. But uh, but you have these two ascending talents and we get to watch them seemingly every night, whereas uh, people south of the border, you know, maybe not so much. So I often think we have to almost like sit back and admire the fact we get both of them in our in our market, you know. Um, so, yeah. And it'll be fascinating. To and, see oh, if they, yeah. If they link up in the playoffs. I was just going to say, if the NHL needs a booster shot in the arm. McDavid Matthews is prime time television in fucking Tuktiuk Duck in China, in Japan, in fucking Australia. This is what we need, my friends. This is going to be insane if it works out. I I wouldn't miss a minute for anything. It's going to be crazy. Hope it happens. Or Montreal. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's... Yeah, the, the playoffs are going to be outstanding for, for those reasons. Okay, moving along to another outstanding event that just transpired. The U18s out in Waco, Texas finished up. It's fitting we have our junior hockey expert, Michael Robson, joining us for this segment. Uh, yes. So, I mean, this was this was a big deal. I mean, Kyle and I got into it a bit on last episode. Uh, we We talked about some of their prelim games. We talked about the roster, some some particular characters, um, and 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 ultimately, you had Canada winning the gold in a in a in a in an entertaining final against Team Russia, uh, which which pitted the you know the two big stars from the 2023 draft. Uh, you 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 had Connor Bedard going against uh, the Russian fellow. What's his name? Mitchkov, Kyle. Yeah, Mitch Mitchkov. So uh, yeah, they I mean they both scored in the game. I mean. Uh, I mean, Bedard with a highlight reel goal, uh, and 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 it and it was quite the event. I, I for one did not tune in for a game in its entirety until the gold medal game. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I want to start by getting the thoughts of you two first, who who by the sounds of things uh, were watching a lot more of the tournament than I did. So uh, why don't why don't you lead off here, Michael? What what were your observations from the tournament, from some of the players that stuck out to you? What are just some broad thoughts? Of, of those two weeks that, that transpired down in uh, Waco, Texas? I mean, we just talked about two of the brightest young stars in the game, and I think that what this tournament showed us is that there is a bunch of talent, at least coming from Canada, over the next few years. Like, Matvey Michkov is going to be a, a star in this league, a human highlight reel, but having watched mostly the 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 games i watched mostly were the canadian teams games and I, they didn't trail i think until the gold medal game when matvey michkov scored to make it one nothing and that team as a whole mason mctavish looks dynamic 
Shane Wright is going to be a star. And Connor Bedard looks like he is about to, similar to Matthews and McDavid, blow the roof off of some NHL arenas. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I was excited to see that Sam Cosentino had uh, Brant Clark shooting up the draft rankings. For all that, I think Sam Cosentino is not in my top five of scouts for uh, for NHL NHL rankings. But um, still, he has him at number three now, and I think a lot of people saw the type of player he can be. Yeah, it was it was exciting. It was exciting hockey and a great bit of foreplay for the NHL playoffs. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting about this tournament is Canada doesn't have a great track record at these particular U18s. And it's because all of their best guys are usually in the CHL playoffs. So that's where COVID has kind of given us a little bit of a benefit here. So you got to see a true best on best scenario. And, uh, and what we saw with a best on best, which is something we often see when it's a true best on best, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, but Canada ran away with this one, and and you really, and I don't I don't know about you, Michael, but even when they ran into some trouble in the final game, there I I never really felt nervous about them, you know I I never really felt like they were going up against the ropes at all, at all in this tournament. So they were dominant. They were guys I learned a lot about. Um, a guy like a Brennan Othman was, was a physical presence that I didn't realize he had that to his game. When I, when I saw his name and his highlights and his, and his, you know, his numbers, his statistics, I didn't know he had this, this nasty player to him. So that was really cool to see. Mason McTavish also had that physical brand uh, that he brought forward. Um, you know, Shane Wright showed me a lot as a, as a leader. And I, I can't wait to see what his draft year holds. Um, and then just, you know, this cast of characters that I'm sure we're going to get to know these kids a lot better. And it's a shame. It's a shame we haven't gotten to see them throughout the year in their CHL leagues because it, it, it appears to me it's a special group of kids. And, uh, and I, I, hope we, I hope a lot of justice is served at these uh, upcoming World Juniors because I think that could be a really interesting tournament. A highlight for me that I want to point out in the final game, and, and also if you want to rewind to uh, another Canada game, Connor Bedard strike, struck me at, at this point uh, because it seems like when he misses a chance or he, he flubs a shot that he knows he could have had, he knows he could have scored on, and you see the obvious frustration in his face on the bench, on the ice, all this. Um, he did it earlier in the tournament and he scored immediately the next shift. And in that final game, when he flubbed that penalty shot and I saw him on the bench beating himself up, I said to myself, and I, I, for the record, guys, I was on my porch outside in a sleeping bag watching the game. That's how I took it in. And I said to myself, he's going to score. I have a feeling that he's got one coming. And lo and behold, it was probably the goal of the game, that beautiful backhander right between the circles. I, I couldn't believe my eyes and I had no one to yell to. I was outside, you know, neighbors were walking by and I was like, Oh my God, what did I just see? And I, like, it was a quiet night. It was just, it was crazy. Um, he, he blew me away. Like we've all heard about the hype and, and now you got to see it uh, for your own eyes. Tying Connor McDavid's U uh, 18 record of 14 points in the tournament. So, Ah, there's there's so much to like about these kids and uh, just a really great tournament overall. Really entertaining. 
I had a really bad take early on I, that I had with Nick. I said, oh, the, the men's world championships is going to be, you know, just as interesting, if not more than, than the U18s. I was wrong. I could, co- I could fully admit that. I just seen the roster. I was wrong. What a great tournament. Um, yeah, just we're, we're fortunate to have seen it. And thank God some of these kids got to showcase some of their stuff before this wacky fucking draft we're going to have. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, and uh, speaking of learning, so learning more about the players, um, I loved Shane Wright as he's about to be doused with water after the interview. He takes the headset off and is already handing it back before the water gets poured on him, making right. sure that the headset stays dry. You know, even in the midst of celebrating the championship, that was amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Very nice. I get um, the feeling. Uh, oh, go on, go on. No, it was a great. It was a great tournament. The stars came out. Shane Wright was the MVP. He was Corey Pronman's MVP for reasons. I mean, you could have went with Bedard, but I don't know. I, I guess Shane Wright. He he was the captain after all. Um. And, uh, and it was just great to see him perform on that stage. He had yet to have a big international stage to perform like that. And I feel yeah. like he's, he's quietly getting into the mainstream now. You know, you're having interviews with him and Elliot Friedman. Like, he's, he's just getting out there more. And so he's now, he's, he's been cooped up here in Kingston, Michael. You know, he's been our little secret. And now he's being out there shown to the world on TSN, on national television. Mm-hmm. So it's well, good and- for him. Go on. Oh, just just like his highlights in Kingston are quietly phenomenal. Like he'll put up a hat trick, and you'll it, whether you're at the game or you watch the highlight pack the next day, you know it's just it's it's not the, the it's not this you know cut through the middle backhand from the slot. He'll just he'll score three goals and he makes it he makes it look easy. Yeah, and I mean, and like Kyle said, the shot was on full display. It's almost McKinnon like in this tournament. Um, so that was great to see. And then I got to give a shout out to, to some other guys like Kyle mentioned Brendan Offman. I hadn't like I hadn't seen anything from him as a player. I just saw the interviews. I mentioned how how great he was in his interviews last episode and how candid he was and how mature he came off of. So this is a guy I de- have no hesitation drafting in the first round uh, and, and the play in that final game. It just seemed like a, he's like a big game kind of player, you know, almost like a Justin yeah. Williams in a, in a game seven. So, mm. I mean, that was good to see. Uh, I love that staying Coven kid. I still maintain that. Like him and Berdard, you almost they almost looked like the same player sometimes because they're both right. they're both small and they were both skating and giving their all and 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 it was really good to see. So I I don't know what I don't know what the story with that kid is. I don't know what year he's eligible. But right uh, now, he's coming up this year's draft, eh? Yeah, yeah. No one's no one's gone in the first round, so I'm curious where he's gonna go. Um, <clears throat> so that that one interests me. Um, and then of course, you know, some, some disappointments. We, we had that Gunther character, you know, what, yeah. what's going to, what's going to happen to him. I every, almost every ranking I've seen has, has had him dip since this tournament. Um, he, he right. didn't necessarily perform to the standard of the other stars that were in this. Um, and then, and then your boy, uh, Mike, uh, Brandon Clark. I mean, he had, he had some flashes. He had some good moments. Kyle and I were really, you know, high on him, uh, last episode. And then it seems like when the games got more important, uh, he 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 kind of take a step back, and and especially in that gold medal game, it seems like he really wasn't getting all that much ice time, uh, and and it seemed like that Zell winger guy on Canada looked like the best defenseman, and 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 he was the guy getting the top power play uh, minutes. 
So, uh, so I, 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 I ask you, what did you make of, 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 of Clark's uh, game? At least in the gold medal game, I thought he got off to a shaky start. I think what's clear, like, like a lot of defensemen uh, his age who are more offensively inclined, he needs to get a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical. But where he shines and where he thrives is with the puck on his stick whether that's controlling the power play or carrying it um, out out of or into the zone. And there was the one play, uh, I think it was to Stankovan, for the goal that put Canada up 3-2, I think, or what, it, maybe 4-2, um, where, you know, he he picks it up, he gets skating with it, and that's where, I think that's where he calms himself down. Uh, as he gets bigger, as he starts to get used to playing in these games, he'll get better, but it was a little disappointing to see that at least in the first period, he was shying away from the limelight in that gold medal game. Michael, this this defenseman, Brant Clark, the way I would describe him is extremely raw. W- would you yeah. agree with that statement? The skill is there, but the image, the, the sorry, the the maturity and and that just that stable sense that has still got to come. Well, and he, he played in Slovakia earlier this year in the men's league. And uh, from what I've heard, he struggled a bit to start. And as he got a little bit more settled, he started to find his game again. And I think that's indicative of a player who has the tools, but might need a bit of time to put it t- together. Right. Um, and I think, I think if you, if you give him a little bit of time, if you're patient with his development, he's going to be a number one defenseman um, because I, I truly believe he's got the skill and the hockey IQ to, to be a great defenseman in this league. Mm. Another thing I want to ask you is uh, Nick kind of mentioned this as a bit of a negative, but again, small sample size, but do you see Dylan Gunther as a top five pick after this tournament? It's hard to say because the general thoughts on top five picks are they should dominate in a tournament like this in their draft year. Right. Uh, and you saw it a little bit with Byfield and like, I definitely fell into it a little bit with Byfield was um, because he had, he had already been drafted at this point, but essentially I'm going to call it his draft year world juniors. Um, he was expected to step up, expected to play, play a big role. And he didn't really, he didn't really do that. Like he didn't have the production people were expecting from him. Um, and I think it's easy to get caught up in the international play and the best on best, but Byfield, in my opinion, is still going to be a really good NHLer, And I still think is going to be a star in the league. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would take Gunther top five in another draft, but in this year's draft where a lot of it's uncertain, Maybe you say, oh, had a bad tournament. Uh, he was asked to play a role. He's not usually you know, required to fill and just mm-hmm. take a chance on him. I don't know. It, it's, sort of, it's sort of hard to tell. It's very difficult. And the, the, what, what bends my brain is that it, this past World Juniors, we saw Maddie Beneers be a standout player who's in that same class. And at, and, and at a later date... At this U18, which is a lower age bracket, we saw Dylan Gunther look like, you know, just one of the guys, you know, so it's hard to say. 
it, it's roles. It, it's everything. But uh, yeah, it, 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 it just kind of, to me, boosts up a Maddie Beneers a, a bit more. Yeah. And it is tough when you get outshone by, you know, two guys who right. are, are younger than you. And like one guy gets named captain, right? Like they named mm-hmm. Shane Wright captain of the team. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When he's like 17. Yeah. He's, is he still 16? I don't even know anymore. I don't know. But uh, it's just, yeah, it, I'd agree. I, I, it might be enough to slide him out of top five, but I think he had a great year in the WHL and it could be, yeah, could be that people year. take this performance with a grain of salt. Yep. And, and Michael, you'll get to see Owen Power if there's any reason to watch the the world championships, that's probably one of them is to scout that c- consensus. Number one, him and him and Beniers are in my opinion, the only real reasons to watch that tournament. Fair enough. Okay. We're going to get the treadmill going here yet again, as, as we have to get to our predictions. But before we do that, two final little things I want to touch on Kyle, you made a request that Ray Ferraro be one of the topics on the show. As someone who's off Twitter, who doesn't really pay attention, what the hell's going on with, with my boy Ferraro? Oh, you didn't hear? No, I, I don't know anything that's been going on. Wow. So at first I heard he was a front runner for the NB, or sorry, the uh, ESPN job. And now I hear it's even more solidified is that he's, he's been offered a, a, a spot there. And, uh, and I don't think it's fully official yet, but it, it's like 80 to 90% that uh, Ray Ferraro is going to be the analyst for the next regime of, uh, of NHL hockey in the States. Interesting. I thought it was going to be more controversial, like something he said, but uh, no, but, but, but Hey, I do have a note on that. I was going to mention this at the end of the show is just a few little timbits at the end, but uh, here we go. Here's some news about the broadcasting stuff. Some news is leaking. Uh, Kenny Albert, mm-hmm. who of course is a main play by play guy for NBC. Looks like he's going to be the the voice of the Stanley Cup final for Turner. So that's the TBS platform. Um, He's currently doing games for NBC and is expected to handle the Stanley Cup final for that network uh, this summer before joining Turner. Uh, It's also believed they're going to make Eddie Olchek its lead hockey analyst. Uh, So so there you have it. Hmm. He's, He's also part of NBC right now. He's also does Chicago local games. Uh, yep. It's reportedly a five-year deal that would give him the freedom to keep working for NBC uh, on horse racing as well, which he's really passionate about. Um, and then uh, as far as Ferraro, there was there was interest in Ferraro by both networks. While there is some confidence, according to sources, that ESPN will add him to their on-air talent pool, potentially as the lead analyst. Uh, he's one of a number of Canadian-based broadcasters that could be in play, according to some industry observers after ESPN and Turner have shown a willingness to present salaries that would make moving to the U S much easier. So is that, is that what it looks like? It's going to be Albert and, 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 and Olchek as the lead guys at TBS. And then mm. Ferraro is going to be the lead analyst at ESPN. I guess. Yeah, I guess that's how it's shaping up. And and for the record, my take is uh, Ferraro's the best analyst. Uh, he's my favorite analyst in hockey as of right now, at least. They should pick up Gord while they're at it. Holy shit. Well, and spe- speaking of Gord, I'm pretty ticked. Gord's off to Latvia next week. So I was hoping he he, I'd be hoping he'd be doing some of the NHL games and he's going to be they're going to yeah. be wasting his talent 
games no one's watching in the world championships. Yeah, you it's know why? Because he want he wanted a vacation. I heard him on I the know. radio today. I know. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, one of the reasons I'm surprised, I, it must be a lot of money they're offering Ray because one of the reasons I think he's stuck with TSN for as long as he has has a lot to do with his freedom to choose his schedule. Like him and Gord mm-hmm. really can pick who they cover, what games they cover. Right. Um, and they've done the World Juniors for the past few years. Uh, so either the money is really good or they're giving him some similar freedom in the States. Wow. And, and then that begs the question, like, does he still get to do the, I know ESPN and TSN, they're kind of related. Does that mean he can still do the world juniors? Cause uh, uh, like that, that's hard to leave. And, and if he leaves, then I think that opens the door for McGuire to come back in and to start doing the world juniors with Gord. And then no, you have, you no, have like, you, no. you have, you're, you're back to those days of the 2010s. Holy shit. That'll be just, Did I just blow your wacky, mind? freaky Friday kind of shit that I don't want. Oh, no. And there's no news on Maguire. You're not hearing any rumors about anyone making offers. No, I haven't heard a thing. In fact, yeah. the last time I heard Maguire on broadcasts, he was brutal. And I don't think anyone's picking him up because he's oh. not great. On- Maguire shines on the radio. He really does. On mm-hmm. broadcasts, it doesn't move the needle for him. Mm-hmm. Well, he, for the record, oh, he, I, I believe NBC is trying to bury him and make him as le- le- less, least noticeable as possible. So he, I have it on good authority, he will be doing the Western Conference Series. So he will mm-hmm. either find himself on a flight tonight going to Colorado or Vegas, and he'll be doing the late game so no one has to pay attention to him. Wow. There you go. What were you saying, How the Mike? mighty have fallen. Um, okay. And finally, last little topic we have to do before the uh, before the the uh, playoff previews. Predictions. Um, Kyle, the laugh track. Take the floor. Oh, shit. We're still... Yes. Yes. Laugh had a good... He finished strong. He really did. He had, he had a really great stretch and then went quiet for a few games. And then he had uh, just again moments of you know flashing that uh, that brilliant play. Um, you know what? If if there's anything I've learned from watching these Rangers games, watching these laugh track games, it's my utter frustration with a lot of the Rangers systems. I, I really don't like, like I said before, their transition game. I also find uh, might be a bit controversial, but I, I find Bush Navish is, is extremely frustrating of a player to watch. I think he, he often makes boneheaded moves. And I, and I, I and you know, another thing frustrates me is Mika Zabanajad can't win a damn face off. Like I'm now thinking to myself, is this guy a center or a wing? Like, it, <laughs> I don't get it. He, yes. He, he plays the penalty kill. He's, he's decent in his own zone. Not great. I'd say decent. But this guy can't win a faceoff. For for all the games I've watched, I, they never have possession of the puck. It's crazy to me. Uh, and I and I, I you know what I'd I'd like to see what he's like on the wing. Speedy guy, long stick, good shot. Eh. But yeah, laugh. I want to mirror a lot of things I said last week. I have I have zero reservations about his potential, like I did early in the season. Uh, he's really shown up, and uh, and I'm just so excited for last uh, for next year. And I will say, Michael, this uh, something I took from uh, the closing interviews, the end of season interviews. 
He's very aware of what he needs to get better at. He's very aware that speed is his number one focus this summer, uh, his neutral zone play and, and his, him carrying the puck. And, uh, and then he mentioned the confidence like he always does. So if you add the speed and add some confidence, we're looking at you know a huge step next year uh, from what I can tell. Well, and I think a coaching change and bringing in somebody who's going to really enable him to to let his creativity shine and get that confidence back is gonna is gonna make a huge difference. Yeah, bingo, bingo. You you can tell. Like I've I said this a few times, Michael, but there are some games when the Rangers are up by a bunch of goals. And they, they, they plug Lafreniere out there with, with decent line mates that he just kind of lets loose a little bit. He takes the reins off, and he's a totally different guy, completely different player. And you can see him flash the skill. It just seemed like he was a little bit scared to do that um, for the most part of the season. And, uh, yeah, let's see some more power play time, for Christ's sakes. Uh, so next year, I'm, I'm very excited for. I would have liked to see him in the World Championships. I was really excited for that, but... I do not blame him whatsoever for wanting to go home. It's been a tough season for everybody, everybody in the NHL, let alone a youngster. Okay. We move on to the most anticipated segment of the show. What you've all been waiting for the official rink moose predictions for round one of the 2021 Stanley cup playoffs. Uh, we're going to do this shorter than usual. Like I said, there's no previews. There's no storylines as we usually break it down. Key players and all that jazz. We're throwing it out oh, the boy. window. Time is of the essence. And we are simply giving you the goods, the predictions, the things to slot into your bettings, your, your betting, uh, your betting slot. So uh, bracket challenge, your bracket challenge. And again, Kyle, you better not post this until the day it's due because I don't want them stealing our predictions our competitors. Bingo. So uh, you keep this confidential. So we move right along and we're going to start because I know Joseph's listening to this right now and needs to know what Kyle thinks of Toronto, Montreal. The first time since, if I'm not mistaken, 1979. Do I have that on good authority? Oh, ah. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard 79. You could be right. 87? Is it 87 or 79? I think it might be 7. I think it was 70s. It was Larry Robinson. And that's the 70s. Yeah. Sportsnet. Okay. Right off the bat, that's a travesty. Like, what is going on with this league, if that's the case? What is going on with this league? That's just so ridiculous. Think I mean, of all the mon- think yeah. of all the rivalry time and and the Montreal versus Toronto hate that we could have been building all this time. That's brutal. Anyways, anyways, um, you know these last couple of weeks, I have not been a fan of this Montreal team. They have not done many things to impress me whatsoever. But I'm going to make this short and sweet. They've got players coming back marquee players. You've got arrested Weber. I think Price has been healthy for a little bit now, and they've just kind of been hiding him away as the ace in the hole. Um, you've got Gallagher coming back, likely from his uh, from his hand injury. I think Montreal is going to make this a series. I, I think this is going to turn into more of a war than, uh, than a lot of people are saying, and particularly Craig Button, who thinks this is going to be a sweep. Um, it's going to be a war. I think that uh, I, 
I think the media will play up the rivalry and it'll go right into the players' play. And I think it's going to be aggressive and, and fast and physical. Um, but Toronto's got too much. They, they've improved way too much. Uh, I, I can't even call this against them. Guys like, you know, some of the grit that they've added. The goaltending is still suspect, but I think Campbell's enough to get it done. Uh, we're going six games, six hard-fought games. And uh, and Toronto's gonna gonna pull off uh, an overtime winner in the sixth game. I won't Michael. be so bold as to you know predict overtime, but um, I also have six games. I think the Habs are physical, they're fast, but they're dinged up. And although Caulfield looks like he's going to be really good for years to come, uh, I don't see how I don't see how Toronto loses this series. I think the Habs win two, and it it ends in six. Uh, all I will say is uh, here's some you know you know I'm a big defensive hockey guy. Here's some five on five stats defensively for the Maple Leafs this year: fifth in shots against. Last year: eighteenth in shots against. Uh, last year: twenty seventh in goals against. This year: fourth in goals against. Uh, last year, 21st in uh, uh, high danger scoring chances against. This year, ninth in high danger scoring chances against. Needless to say, they've cleaned up the defensive end. That's the thing that's always concerned me with this team. Um, and I think, like Kyle said, the, the addition of the veterans, it's all going to be for something. Adding Nick Foligno, adding Joe Thornton, adding Wayne Simmons, it, it, it's all going to pay off. And the Maple Leafs will finally win a playoff series uh, for the first time since the mid-2000s. So uh, I, too, have the Maple Leafs winning this series. Um, and I, uh, I think I agree with the prediction. Let, let's just say it's unanimous. Six games, the Toronto Maple Leafs will win. You have that on good authority from the entire Rink Moose wow. panel. So there you have book it. Book it. Uh, yeah. So it's it. going to be Montreal on seven then. Take it to the bank. <laughs> it, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to be intense. Like it, it's gonna, These are going to be huge games. It can't just be a short series, you know? Like CBC will even CBC will find a way to make it a long series. They will milk this series yeah. out. So it, it, can it, I? Uh, yeah. I, I want to add one thing on on the comments of, and I love bringing this up on the comment of pressure. Montreal limping into this series, even their own fans aren't expecting anything. Toronto is wearing a ton of pressure for this series, and it's not going to be felt in the in the building with the fans, but it's going to be felt from a media perspective. If, if any one thing goes wrong early on, I think you're going to feel a mountain of pressure. Those players will. So let's see how they handle it. I think they can handle it, um, but uh, it, it's going to be rough if things go, go poorly early. And, and I will reiterate, Montreal is, is going to be a completely different team. Again, they're getting lots of key players back. So... Don't use these last few weeks as a measuring stick. I, I've thrown them away completely, and uh, and it'll be a good series. Yeah, uh, but again, I mean, you mentioned all the pressure being on Toronto. I, I do think there's still pressure on Montreal here. I mean, you, let's not forget sure. this is this isn't like Pittsburgh last summer. You're not going in with house money. You are you are expected to compete. Uh, they are limping going into the playoffs here. I don't think it's been the best audition for Dominic Ducharme, to be honest with you. And I don't know. I don't think it's taken for granted. Like if, if he's not, it's not for granted. He's returning next year. And I think a, a win in the series 
or a game seven would would maybe secure his seat a lot more. So so I mean, that that's what I think you're you got to do if you're him. You got to at the very least push this team to the brink. So I, I think there's pressure in Montreal. And now there's talk of just Jeff Molson talking with Mark Bergevin about his future. I mean, what's that mean? You know, so so. so yeah, we'll I mean, all those very valid points, Nick. But if you do happen to flip the script and say Toronto for some reason loses this series, I think I think Dubas is on an entire like no one's talking about the 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 heat he will feel if he loses this series. All those moves for nothing. So now it's like, where do you go from here? Do you blow up the core? Like that would be utter utter mayhem, and no one seems to be talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're not mistaken. Um, moving on, the other Canadian matchup. We have Edmonton against Winnipeg. Uh, it's a big one. I mean, um, I mean, it's 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 a huge matchup. Almost fitting. You have two West teams going against, and then two East teams. So, um, Kyle, we'll start with you again. What do you make of this one? Yeah, this is a really tough one for me. I, I would have said mid-season, I was a big Jets guy. I was I was really supportive of the Jets, but it just seems in the last month, you know, internal storylines, you know coaching uh, controversies, things have just fallen apart. Why is Mark Shifley showing up on religious podcasts? Can someone explain that to me? I don't know about the, I don't know about any yeah. of this. Yeah, no, it's just it's just so weird. Everything is so weird in Winnipeg. And then then I'm on Instagram three weeks ago and Mark Mark Shifley's story is like him on this, I kid you not, like purely Christian podcast. I don't even know how to explain it. It was just the fucking weirdest thing. So I was like, oh my God, what what is going on with this team? And and another storyline here, Pierre Luc Dubois is not not inspiring much confidence whatsoever. I loved him in last year's playoffs. This guy was a wrecking ball and he was skilled and he was fast and hard. It's just where, where's this guy been? I have full confidence in, in Shifley and Connor and, and these top guys, but is it enough against Connor and the boys? No, it's not. Edmonton has a lot to prove. Connor's never been mo- more motivated. He's gotten all the spotlight and he's thrived on it. Uh, Dry Seidel has never been more motivated. These guys are primed to to win a win a series here, uh, and I think Mike Smith can get it done in net. Um, and you know what? Uh, I, I see con- a conversely to the Montreal take. I see Winnipeg struggles uh, actually being their their downfall in this series. So I'm going to go five games, Edmonton over Winnipeg. So I actually, I disagree. I, I think Winnipeg struggles have been real, but I think you saw in a game against Vancouver, and I know Vancouver is not a great measuring stick, but you saw Blake Wheeler start to get a little bit more hop in his step. And I think Blake Wheeler is the epitome of that, that Jets team. Fast, hard, and never going to give up. And I think the tenacity of that Jets team from top to bottom with Hellebuck and Nett, their decor who's going to play physical all the way up to their, you know, to their forwards who are built for playoffs. Like this, this is a team that I underestimated at the start of the season. And I know that they're sort of limping towards the playoffs, similar to Montreal, but I actually, 
I actually see them putting up more of a fight against Edmonton uh, than you do, Kyle. It's not going to be enough to beat Connor, Dreisaitl, uh, Darnell Nurse, and Tyson Berry, who seem to just be having electric years. Uh, Mike Smith has found his youth again. I don't know where they keep it in Edmonton. I'd like him to point me to it. Uh, but <laughs> it's it's insane what what he's done this year. And I think I think it's a seven-game series because of the physicality of Winnipeg and the fact that they're built for playoffs. Um, but skill wins out and Edmonton moves on to the second round. Um, yeah, well, it turns out, I mean, this is another team Winnipeg that's limping into the playoffs. And oftentimes that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. You know, they often say you're only as good as you are playing in how you, how hot you are heading into the playoffs. That's only as good as you're going to be. And, um, they haven't inspired a lot of confidence this past month. I was very bullish on this team and, and now not so much. Um, there's also the fact that Edmonton has now won six straight games against the Jets. So they have throttled right them. They have pushed them right into the, the ground. They're 7-0-2 against them this season. And my biggest concern with Edmonton, my biggest concern, and Joseph Camilleri can vouch for me here, Mike Smith, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Mike, he has found the fountain of youth. And, and, and he is now performing. Uh, and, and, and it's shocking. He's actually, he actually looks pretty good out there and he plays with a flair and it's, and it's an exciting, he plays a very old school style and it makes for good TV and it's been effective. Um, mm. so I, I think, I think he's, 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 he's inspired enough confidence now in me where I don't think Winnipeg has as much of an advantage as they used to in the goaltending position. I still think they do. I'd still rather have counter Hellebuck, but Smith's the hotter goalie right now. So that said, I, I think I think McDavid is just too much. He's too much on a tear right now. You see his press conferences. He looks like he's all business the way he's talking. I don't think this guy can tolerate another first round exit. I think Chicago's series last year was embarrassing and, and he's not going to tolerate it. He's almost going to show he's going to show the same vigor Nathan McKinnon showed in last year's playoffs. This guy's just going to take it over. And I expect uh, this this guy's going to lead that whole first round in points. Um, that said, I still have enough respect for those veterans on Winnipeg, the Wheelers and the Shifleys. I still have enough respect for Paul Maurice that he's going to make adjustments in between series uh, to, enough to win a game or two. Um, and, and that's why I think uh, it, it will be a, a, a longer series than just four or five games. Um, so all in all, uh, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to agree with you on this one, uh, Mike. I'm going to go seven games, Edmonton Oilers. Either way, boys, I think this is going to be one of those must must watch series. I don't is know this, about you guys. Is this but a top I, three I think... for you? This is a top three series. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, okay. I, I think this is going to be a lot of offense, like jousting with offense, if you know what I Like, not a lot of defending. Uh, just let's just go full out right I now. I think there'll be a and bit of I both. Think, I, I think you'll have some shutdown games, but you'll also have the explosion games. They'll, the coaches yeah. will make their adjustments. These are two veteran coaches, very smart, savvy coaches. There will be some defensive lockdown in this series. Well, but, but, but we'll, we'll see. I, I, as Nick, as you like to point out, as Joe Camilleri likes to point out, Winnipeg can't defend for shit, which I don't necessarily agree with, but Joe loves to point that out. So I, I if they try to sh play a shutdown game, it'll be interesting. And I, uh, I think they've got the pieces to do it, but uh, 
I don't know. I, I, I think it's going to be mostly offense. Okay. We, uh, we truck right along unanimity with the first two matchups. Uh, we have Toronto sad. and we have, it, it's not good. Well, I, I think we're, things are going to get a little more different moving on here. So let's truck right along a little further east or a little further south to the, uh, to the, uh, the east division. Um, oh. Let's start with uh, your beloved Pittsburgh Penguins, Kyle. We have the Penguins lining up against uh, Barry Trotz's New York Islanders. Uh, this, of course, a matchup that just played out uh, a couple of years ago where the Islanders swept Pittsburgh. Uh, so you're sure I'm sure that'll be in Crosby's mind heading into this matchup. So, uh, yeah, how do yeah. you see this playing out? The new look Pittsburgh Penguins with with Brian Burke at the saddle against uh, Lou Lamorello in the Islanders. Oh, boy, is uh, boy, is Jeff Carter been just I, I will, a, a I will, breath of I fresh air. Let me let me preface this by saying this will be one of the two series that I have very little interest in watching. Really? Yeah. That's this. This, this well, I did. I did my rankings this morning. This is my seventh uh, least anticipated series of uh, wow. Okay, of of eight. Of eight. Fair this enough. The, Fair this enough. Is the seventh worst one. I, I I can't say it's in my top four, but uh, here's what I'll say: a, a lot of guys in in Pittsburgh, in particular, have been performing amazinging well. Jeff, Jeff Carter has been great since he came in. Brian Rust has been amazing for the second half of the, the year in particular. And, uh, and then you got Jake Gensel continue to be amazing. Who has not been playing very well, Nick? Evgeny Malkin has been missing for most of the year. And when he wasn't missing, he didn't look like himself. So that, that's a factor you have to consider. Now, Pittsburgh, miraculously, I don't know how they did this. I would never predict that they won the division. Without Malkin, is it Crosby? Is it is it ever? Is it the? It's just amazing. It, it it's it's a it's a testament to the coaching and the system and the buy-in. Uh, and then you've got Tristan Jari uh, playing very solid on the back end. However, this New York Islanders Islanders team cannot be under underestimated. And I think that uh, Barry Trotz is primed for another long run. I think that uh, Barzell has been rested in the last few days, and he's he's looking as good as ever. And I think the team with Paul Mary now, with, with Pajot there, with Brock Nelson, I love that center depth. Um, New York's got what it takes to, to to move on here, and and Pittsburgh's now shaken my trust in the last few years. And I don't like saying that, but I can't picture them. Besting this Islanders team, who a few di- a few games ago, when I was watching one of their games, I was saying this team's going to the to the East Finals. So I have to take the Islanders. It's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be seven games, but uh, the Islanders are going to take it. I hate that. I hate that. So I have a bit of a weird take here because I think the Pens win this in five. Oh, Mike! Tell I think, me everything. I think that this has just been one of those years where Sidney Crosby is on a mission. And in, when you see players like that on a mission, they, they, can, they can just turn it around and just like take the team to a new height. And he did it. He, they won the division. We all had Pittsburgh out of the playoffs in our... Um, 
in our standings predictions. We did. And they're here <laughs> and they won the they won the division. And this is a team that seems to thrive on this on the fact that they weren't supposed to be here and just continue to get better and better together without With coming back. I can't see him not performing for much longer. I'm really excited to see what they do in the playoffs. And I just, I don't know. I think like I looked, I looked online and they lead the league in um, actual goals above expected goals. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that it's just will. So I'm putting my bet on just will here. Wow. Me Crosby willing this team over the Islanders in five. I love that take. It's amazing. I think it's a stinky take. And I, oh. I think it, it, disrespe- it disrespects wow. it's odorous and it disrespects everything that the Islanders have stood for in these playoffs. Every time someone doubts them, they, they push back and they advance. And we saw that last summer in the bubble. You had pundits like Joe, Joe out there shitting on them, saying they're the boringest team to watch in the league. And they went on an incredible run and were the closest team. No team claimed closer to beating the Tampa Bay Lightning than the Islanders. They t- took them to a triple, double, triple overtime in game six. Okay. Like they pushed them to the very brink and that in itself yeah. deserves enough respect. I also don't have enough faith in the Pittsburgh tandem of Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith to get them over the hump. I think that Varlamov and Sorokin tandem has been incredible this year under the, uh, the guidance of Mitch Korn. Uh, and, and I just, I just think it, they're too respected. Uh, that time, that team, and I think Barry Trotz is too respected. And if there's few teams I can shut down Sidney Crosby, it's the Islanders, and there's precedent for that. We've seen it, and I think he'll go back to the same drawing board and he'll use the same plan. So I myself am doing the Islanders, and uh, I'll go the Islanders in six games. I love I, I love some of the acquisitions Burke's made, and and I was right about the Jeff Carter move. He's been a great great acquisition, but uh, but hey, I I have too much respect for those. For those, I mean, that fourth line, Sezikis, Clutterbuck, Martin, Komarov, mm. too much respect for those guys. They're not sexy names, but they're playoff names. They know mm. how to win, and I got them in six games. So there you have it. If Oh, just to quickly defend, for to, the, to a lesser extent, my take, and especially Michael's take, I just feel like if you haven't had Sidney Crosby and company researching and figuring out how the hell to beat this team, for a long time now, since two years ago, I'm, I think those guys have, have come up with some sort of answer to that riddle in some sort of uh, aspect. I don't think it's going to be quite enough, but I think it's going uh, it's, it's to be a dogfight. But they will have, they will have made adjustments, Nick. I, I promise you that. Sure. Okay, moving along to Kyle's most least anticipated series of, of the playoffs. The Sunrise Series, Tampa Bay and Florida. Uh, this is, in my opinion, going to be Ugh. a, this will be most certainly a top three series in my mind. Odorous, um, odorous. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's going to be very exciting. And I think a lot of people are going to tune in for these and it's going to catch a lot of people off guard. So uh, please elaborate, Kyle, on why this is going to be an Otis series and, and who you have winning. I just... Why I think it's going to be an odorous series is personal. It's completely personal. I just don't have a lot of affinity for these teams. I think they're two elite teams. I will not uh, be mis- misspoken on that. Really interesting is you're going to see the the return of Nikita Kucherov, I assume. Um, 
really even more interesting is what kind of health does Victor Hedman have? Uh, from what I can tell, the guy needs surgery is from what I, what I heard, and he's going to try to get through it and he's going to try to keep the pieces together for this playoff. So, I mean, ideally Tampa goes up early and, and it has an, an opportunity to, to give the guy less minutes. Um, but uh, I look at a great Florida team, underrated Mackenzie Wieger, but Florida doesn't beat a Tampa Bay without an Aaron Ekblad in their lineup. So for that main reason, uh, Tampa Bay is going to advance. It's going to be a, you know what, for those kinds of guys who respect the teams, a good series, six games, Tampa Bay, Kucherov gets his feet wet and it's, it, it'll be entertaining for those who watch. I won't be watching though. I think we see the cup champs make an early exit this year in a semi-series loss to the Florida Panthers. I think they're both dinged up. The Panthers won, I believe, their last two regular season matchups. I do not like putting in a player who hasn't played regular season games directly into playoff time with no buildup. I think it is, even if that player is Nikita Kucherov, it's a recipe for mistakes. And I don't think you get over that in one series. With Hedman dinged up, they're going to have to rely on Braden Point, Vasilevsky, and their depth to get them through. And I think those those are good players. But I think at the end of the day, the Panthers with Quenville, who is the better coach, better than John Cooper, oh! will agreed, agreed, in agreed. seven games push the Panthers through to the next round. <laughs> that's a I like huge it. take. That that's a, that's like so it. bullish, man. That's so bullish. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, I wish, yeah, I wish I had the cojones to make that prediction. But uh, but I I gotta go with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, I I have a feeling they just haven't been trying these last few weeks. I think that's why they're third. I think they're much better than what we've seen. And I think the lack <clears throat> of Stamkos and Kucherov have uh have shown that let me let me give you two points i brought up two things for this um mm-hmm. i look at the defense of florida uh kyle who's gustav forsling uh i know i i know of him but have i watched him play this guy this guy remember? this guy's playing no. this guy is a first first line defenseman for florida he's averaging 21 minutes a night with mackenzie Wegar as their top pairing um, Uyghur's very good. I know he's very good and he's underratedly good. And, and he's, he's fantasy wise. He was put up a lot of points there at the end of the season, but I just don't like Uyghur, Forsling, Yandel, Gudis, <clears throat> Nutivara, Montour. That six doesn't inspire as much confidence as is Hedman, McDonough, Cernak, Savard, Sergachev. I mean, that, that would right. inspire way more confidence. And then I look at the goalies. Come on, man. Like, are you really going to bet against Vasilevsky when you have Darren Dreger in net and and a Russian goalie who, who let's face it, is, is basically replacement level at this point? I mean, he, here's just some stats. Um, Bobrovsky, since joining the Panthers, uh, his, his saving percentage is back to 906, but he still allowed 11.2 goals more than expected, which is the 11th worst mark in the league. Uh, last season, he was in the sixth mark in the league with 
Um, it's just mm. not good. And, and in the two games, like when these teams have played each other, Vasilevsky, he only has an 898 save percentage. Okay, fair enough. Florida has his number. But but Sergei Bobrovsky, a lowly 879 save percentage. So that's not going to get the job done. And I don't think Darren Dreger is going to fly in to save the day. <laughs> So I will go. Uh, I will go. I I think Tampa puts it put, puts their pedal to the metal here, and they take this in five games. Oh, that's odor right there. Okay, so be it. Cooper is not a good coach. So you know you don't need a good. Apparently, we learned last year you don't need to be a good coach to win in the NHL. <laughs> you just have to be in the right place they at the were, right time, right? I mean, they were rolling though, right? Like. After once they got through that first round, they were rolling. They were I mean, rolling. Yeah, yeah. And this and what I will team that's rolling right now. Right, and and to to support Michael here, what we haven't brought up is the magnificent magnificent forward core of Florida. I mean, you've you've got the big names, the Barkovs, the Hubertos, but now you've got now you've got Sam Bennett. You know, like this guy is just a weapon, is he not? And isn't he just built for branded playoff hockey? These guys are going to be so tough to play against. Like the the Florida forward core is looking just excellent. So that's got to be that's got to be mentioned there too. And Duclair has been amazing too. So let's let's it's, see a it's good a, it's series. Impressive. I'm not going to watch. Again, I'm not going to watch. Like I will not it's watch, all but. it's all worth like giving them like giving them great kudos for. But you're still not the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like th- this is still that team that has that top line of Palat, uh, uh, Point, and 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 Kucherov, and that was the best line in the in the playoffs last year. They were just dominant. And then right, you're gonna right. you're gonna have Stamkos healthy in the second line, and then you're gonna have your shutdown line to take over the Huberto line, uh, which, which is gonna be Yanni Gord. Uh, uh, Blake Coleman, who's fit in like a glove, and uh, and and who's the third guy? Sorelli. I mean, it's it's a it's a Coleman's great line. Out indefinitely, I thought. Sorry, I think Coleman's out indefinitely. Who said that? That changes everything. That does change everything. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I didn't. I. We need a source. Let me see. I can't remember. He looks at, he's healthy on Yahoo right now. Yeah, somebody was out indefinitely. Somebody went out. Um yeah, I don't know. I mentioned what I said about the Jonathan D- decor. I, I, I still think they have enough to get it done. But we move right along further west to the central division. Um we will start with um or no, we yeah, we're oh no, I jumped the gun. You you did. Oh, you didn't man. even do the Boston. I keep, it's one. these divisions that are mucking with me. Oh, I this is bad. Lie. I'm not upset. I'm not upset. Just okay, do the let, let's let's turn around. Let's go back east, <laughs> and uh, and and we'll go to Boston and Washington. Um, I will lead with this one. Funny story. I was out for lunch yesterday. Went to my favorite sandwich place here in Kingston by the name of Mermaid Sandwich Shop. Uh, it's right by the Leon Center, Shane Wright's favorite place in the city. And uh, and and I walked in. I got my usually usual order. I got the uh, pulled pork sandwich with uh, sautéed onions and uh, and pickles, <laughs> and uh, and and some uh, coconut curry soup. 
And I asked the guy there, he had a Bruin shirt on and he, I had a Kings shirt on and he asked me, Hey, you're a Kings fan. I said, yeah, we're not doing so hot, but I'm excited about the rebuild. And I said, how about you guys? You, you excited about your matchup? And uh, he, he seemed to be very confident. He thinks the Tom Wilson scenario has gotten into the heads of Washington and that they, uh, and that they, um, they're going to be caught off guard a little bit. So, uh, and, and it's, it's creating a little too much noise in that dressing room. So, uh, so what do you think of that, Kyle? You, you think it's created noise and Washington's a little off their game and, and Boston's going to take this or, or, or do you still have a lot of confidence in the Washington Capitals? I don't buy it from the sandwich, man. Wow. I'm not going to lie to you. And, and let me start by saying this. I, I don't think the Tom Wilson situation had a negative impact on Washington. And in fact, I think it had a positive impact. I, I think that those are the kinds of things that, you know, supercharges your team emotionally and it, it brings guys together. Like what, 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 what they saw with Tom Wilson was he did his thing for better or worse, whatever you make of it. But uh, a lot of other guys on his team stepped up to, to defend him. And, uh, and I think that just shows how tight they are as a group. They didn't have to do all those. They didn't have to fight like that, but they, they decided that they wanted to do that to show that kind of respect. Um, this is actually a, a series I'm really looking forward to uh, from the physical standpoint. I mean, you mentioned Tom Wilson, but on the other side, you've got a guy named Trent Frederick, who was uh, just born for this role, Nick uh, and, and Mike. This, this is going to be very, very interesting to watch because if I'm Boston, I, I'm placing Trent Frederick in every single Tom Wilson scrum uh, battle and, and open ice altercation that I can I want to get this guy off his game. I want to get this guy just losing his head and getting kicked out of the game. Trent Frederick is, is an expert chirp artist. He is also a, a big body who can just wrestle with anybody um, on, on the Washington side. Uh, and, and Boston's no stranger to, to physical altercations. Another main storyline is Adano Chara being on the other side of this matchup for once. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, Washington better use him, him sparingly because this guy is going to get burned by the speed of, of, you know, many, many forwards on, on Boston. This guy, he can't keep up. He's great after the whistle's done, but use him sparingly because he's going to get burned. Um, just, it's going to be a bloodbath, but, uh, at the end of the day, o Ovi is creeping into this and I think he's legitimately injured, uh, not just some sort of smoke screen. Um, so for that reason, among others, I have uh, I have Boston taking this in uh, in seven brutal games that are just going to be you know my dad's childhood uh, dream come true. Just going to be you know the top line getting it done, every other line going at it. Ovi's going to chip in, but I don't think he's going to be a hundred percent. Mantha is going to be a non-factor, by the way. And, uh, and then Chara is going to be uh, uh, less of a factor than people think because he's going to be uh, a little bit on the slow side. So Boston in seven, it's going to be one to watch. Um, and yeah, tune in. I, I also have Boston winning this series. Uh, I have them doing it in six. They have been one of the hottest teams since the trade deadline when they acquired Taylor Hall. I think that top six is at this point one of the scariest top sixes to go up against in the league. Um, yeah, Ovi, Ovi's injury is concerning. 
they still have other scorers on their team. And so I don't think they're going to go quietly into that good night, but I think Boston, I think Boston is riding momentum. I think they feel confident that they can do it. And I think they actually, for all the respect that they have for big Z, I think there's going to be an extra chip on their shoulder to beat the team that he ended up going to. Yeah. This one for me is the toughest one to predict. Uh, All year I've had so much respect for Washington. They've always lit up my goalies in fantasy and I, and I can't discount that. And they're always so potent and they're always so scary. Um, But a couple things come into play here. I mean, who are the Washington goalies? Uh, who are the Washington goaltenders? You know, Ilya Samsonov and, and a guy by the name of Vitek Vanacek. I don't think too many guys have, I don't think they have many reps in the playoffs, you know, if I'm not mistaken. And that doesn't inspire much confidence. Um, I also look at like the, like Kuznetsov's kind of have an up and down year. Like he's been out, he's been out for a while with something. I, or was he suspended or something? Like I, I don't know what's going on with them. I, I look at their center depth and, and I just don't think it's as strong as the Bruins with Craigie and Bergeron. Um, and, and I also think Taylor Hall is fit in like a glove. You saw that overtime winner he scored the other night. Uh, Kyle, I don't think you could have scored one like that. You know, like like the backhand finish. I don't think so. Don't think that so. was amazing. Uh, that yeah. looked like vintage Oilers Taylor Hall, that play. The way he skated into the zone with confidence. Like that was incredible. Right. Um, so I think he's playing out of the wazoo. I think that Craig Smith guy was one of the hottest fantasy assets at the end of the year. Everyone wanted a piece of him. If you could pick him up off the waiver wire, like my biggest, my biggest criticism with the Bruins is they haven't had any secondary scoring. It's always been that top line and no one else can do anything. It's like Colorado two years ago. And now all of a sudden that second line is like one of the most potent in the league and they fixed it. That one trade has fixed it. And I still have doubts, you know, on the, on the defensive end, you know, you still, you don't have Tory Krug, the sandwich guy mentioned, they really miss Tory Krug. Uh, they, they of course won't have Char on the series. He'll be on their other end. Uh, you look at the, the defense, it's almost like a patchwork kind of defense, but I don't know. I, that, that top line still inspires a lot of confidence. And, uh, and I think that second line is, is just found money right now. It's, it's, it's just, it's, 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 it's just worked. And, and, and they've been as hot as any team to end the season here. So this is so hard. And, and I had Washington at first, but I'm looking at the rosters again now. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's so hard to pick here. Um, I'll, I'll go, I'll go with the Bruins. And I, and I think that's just, I think they play that playoff style hockey better. Uh, and, and I, for all those reasons I mentioned earlier, so I'll go the Bruins and I'll go the Bruins. Like you said, Kyle, in, in, in seven games, just cause I, I have too much respect for the Washington capitals. I, I just want to really quickly justify your pick. There is because I don't know about you guys, but Washington strikes me as a team that doesn't do well under the COVID system. They, they were disinterested last playoffs when they were in the bubble. And they've already gotten to several disciplinary acts this season. I just don't think Ovi and the gang are too too keen on you know having all these restrictions. So I'll just throw that out there for what it what it uh, what it serves. I'm just yeah, I agree. And I and I if I have money to spend, I'm more willing to bet on Bergeron <clears throat> and Marshawn 
than yeah. than 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 an Ovi who we don't know what his health situation is. You know, like you look at the faces of both teams. I'll happily give my money to Bergeron and Marshawn over mm-hmm. Ovi and a couple other Russians and a goaltender I barely know. You know. Yeah, agree. agree. So that's that's the that's the book on that series. Uh, moving along yeah. to the to the to the. <laughs> to the least most anticipated series of, of the, of, of, of the playoffs, uh, hurricanes and predators. Um, very quick, Kyle, what do you make of this winner and loser? Oh, you know what? I, I see Carolina just rolling through this, uh, this, this despicable predators group. Who are these national predators? No, I just think, Carolina, from a defensive standpoint, has just so much going on with with what they're what they're doing right now, and then they've got the offense to chip in as well. I don't trust in a Matt Duchesne or a Ryan Johansson to to carry the load in any sort of respect for Nashville. Nashville is one of those like real real middle ground teams. You don't really know what they're doing. Are they re, are they in the are they on the eve of a rebuild or are they what, are they competing? What, what's going on there? So. Carolina is squarely in the driver's seat. They don't flounder this. This is going to be uh, easy pickings. Um, I'll, I'll call it my first sweep of the my first and only sweep of, of the the pickings here. Yeah, I'm. So I love the Canes. I think if we were <laughs> doing a traditional Eastern Western Conference split this year, they'd be my pick to come out of the East. Um, so. For that reason, I have them. I have them winning the series. Uh, I think Rob Rod Brindamore mm. is going to out coach. I think it's still John Hines behind the Preds bench. Could be. Could be. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, it is. That's it more is. of a Nick question. Yeah. It is. It is John and, Hines, the alien John the, Hines. Yeah. So I think I think Brindamore out coaches Hines. I think the Canes have too much talent all over their lineup, except maybe in goal, but they don't need it because the Predators aren't even going to get a sniff of, you know, serious scoring chances for most of the game. Uh, I have it five games, Canes over the Preds. I too have the Canes over the Preds in five. Uh, My main stat for this one, uh, special teams. Hurricanes are the league's best overall team in that area, earning the second best goal rate on both the power play and penalty kill. Nashville, on the other hand, bottom 10 in both. That's not going to get it done. And they are going to have a short exit. And there you have it. Um, So, yeah, yeah, another unanimous pick here from the panel. Um, And finally, into the West Division, which I think personally will be the two best series of the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs. These these will be the must-watch TV series even better than the North division. Um, and, 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 oh. and, and the way and, and that, and that's, that's a recent development because we are now sitting on Colorado uh, is going to win the president's trophy. They are about seven minutes away from beating the LA Kings and winning the president's trophy much to uh, much to uh, Pete DeBoer's chagrin. Uh, so there Did you have not it. know that. Yeah. So, uh, so, so that's breaking news on the show right now. That's why wow. we left this for the last. Um, so it'll be Colorado against St. Louis, and it'll be uh, it'll be Vegas against uh, Minnesota. Uh, so this is fascinating. Uh, I can already tell boy, Michael's, oh boy. Michael's getting a reaction out of this. So, I mean, where do you want to start here? You want which series you guys want to start with? 
Vegas. Vegas. Okay, Michael, you're taking the lead on this one because I smell an upset from uh, from your screen here. So uh, why don't you uh, take uh, the lead here with Minnesota Vegas? I actually, uh, so I, I wrote down before the show two alternate universes for, for whether Colorado won this game or not. And I actually think that my Minnesota Wild had a better chance against Colorado than they do against Vegas. Whoa! I think Vegas's mm. style of play is like so so minnesota can thrive against teams that dominate possession they they play a very defensive style and they they can sort of grind it out a little bit more against teams like colorado i think against a team like vegas which has players like mark stone has players like max pacioretty and and players who aren't necessarily when, when we talk about skill they're a little bit more of that grit and grind skill rather than Nathan McKinnon, who is going to dominate control of the puck and, and sort of uh, control play that way. Um, either way, I had the wild losing. I, I don't think the abs or Vegas uh, were going to lose to, to Minnesota. Unfortunately, it's not their year, but bit of good news for wild fans. Marco Rossi has been cleared to return to skating and, uh, and physical workouts. <laughs> following his bout with COVID and the resulting side effects. So fingers crossed, we'll see Marco Rossi in a wild uniform next year, but they will be making an early exit in six games against the Vegas Golden Knights. Kyle. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'll tell you this. Without Peyton Krebs, Vegas is sunk. Fair. They're done. They're done. So, no, I, I'm, I'm fucking around. Um, Minnesota, I mean, let's be honest. I think they've overperformed this year. I think they've, uh, they've had a lot of guys go a little over their head. Kaprizov is going to get just shocked by this Vegas team. He's going to be like, holy fuck. So this is what the NHL is really like. I think, uh, you know what? They're going to put up a very valiant effort. The uh, the effort level will be on full display, but uh, Vegas with all their experience and all their their winning mentalities and attitudes. If hey, if you put Flurry in that net, and I want to ask you about this, Nick. Well, who do you think it's going to be? Uh, then I think they they will get uh, through with relative ease. I will I will say um, I'll I'll give Minnesota some credit. I'll say six games just to to be on the safe side for me for for Vegas. But uh, I, I want Florian Net. For the record, I, I'll be very against this whole thing. It'll be a it'll be a, a hogwash if if Leonard starts. Well, okay. So there's a lot to address here. So I'll get the short and sweet out of the way. I think Flurry will get the nod to start. Uh, that's just having watched these last few Vegas games. That loss to Colorado on Monday was monumental. Uh, yeah, they. The Vegas Golden Knights hate Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota has owned the season series five to three. And, and those, those games, some of them have been dominating by Minnesota. Uh, so this is the one team that's had Vegas's number since they've entered the league. And so I don't think you can take them lightly. And I think there's an extremely good chance Vegas is upset and kicked out of the first round. Uh, I, I think that I think people oh. are undermining this Minnesota team. Um, wow. So I, I, I wouldn't not take them lightly. 
And, and I'm very scared. And I think Pete DeBoer scared too. This is not the matchup they wanted. And they pissed away that, that game on Monday. LaRobin Leonard was in net. He gave up a weak goal. And it, and it spelled the mm. worst for them. Philip Grubauer outperformed him. And now, and now, uh, and now Colorado's got the easier matchup. So, uh, so, so I think this is not good news for Vegas. And I think Flower will get the start because Flower just is coming off a shutout. Uh, Leonard, obviously, that poor performance. So I think, uh, I think it'll be <laughs> Flower's net to lose to start. Um, that said, um, still very young there in Minnesota. You know, Kaprasov, you're asking a lot of him. A guy like Eric Sinek, you're still asking a lot of him. Kevin Fiala, still young. I mean, this is still a very young team by all accounts. Whereas, you know, Vegas, I mean, still veterans. You still have the Mark Stones, the Pacioretty's, the, the Martinez, uh, the Flurry. I mean, it's, it's all those vets and, and, and something needs to be said for that. But like I said, I think there's a serious chance they get upset here. I would not be surprised if Vegas loses this matchup. I wouldn't say that about any other team, but this team is the one that scares me. And that's why I have it going seven games. And I have Vegas just getting out, uh, just getting out. But it's going to be seven games. And I, I predict this is going to be the best series uh, in the entire playoffs. Whoa. I'd, I'd agree with that. Let's watch television. You better stay up for these, Kyle. Well, I'll be watching Colorado as long as they're on off nights. <laughs> so. Okay. Why don't you take it away with Colorado then? Well, <clears throat> Kale McCarr should win the Norris Trophy. I got I to gotta lay a stat on you guys. I don't know if I told you this, Nick, but. Uh, yeah, he's the first. You know, uh, he's the first Norris. I'll let you say it. You're very proud well, of this stat. That, this is an, I did my own research on this one, and I'm not saying Makar is going to win the Norris, but if Makar were to win the Norris, and I know he's simply because he's missed a bunch of games, he, he's almost lacking almost full consideration, which is ridiculous. If Makar were, were, were to win the Norris, um, he will be the first Norris Trophy winning defenseman to be above a point per game since 1995. That is just simply staggering. And, and that guy, by the way, was Paul Coffey in 1995. It hasn't been done. It hasn't been done by Eric Carlson. It hasn't been done by anybody. And, and by the way, if you want to go through the list of the best defensemen of our generation, you know, the, the, the Carlsons, the Dowdies, the Brent Burns, Carlson's never once been over a point per game. This is McCarr's second year in the league. It's just simply staggering. Brent Burns has done it once. One time has Brent Burns been over a point per game. Dowdy's never done it. I mean, go down the list. John Carlson's done it once. Whoop-de-doo. You know, it, it, this guy's a second-year player in the league, and he's head head and shoulders the best offensive defenseman we've got in this in this game of hockey and then you look at devon taves who i would argue is a top five defensive defenseman in this game and then you've got philip grubauer who like nick said is is rounding right into form after what looked like a vesna trophy winning season it's just and then I, the, the, the pace that these guys play with McKinnon, we, we talked about how McDavid is getting all this limelight and, and has all this motivation. McKinnon wants to win just as much as McDavid does. He's been living in Crosby's shadow for, for far too long. And then this team has been sniffing at this door for far too long. 
the, the, the top line is poised. Burakovsky's coming into his own. Nazem Kadri's picking up a step now, and, and he's ready for his role. I mean, this, this, the, the depth is Tyson Jose has never looked better than he has right now. He's finally getting into his role. This team is ready to roll. And, uh, and I don't think that St. Louis is going to stand a chance. And as much as Ryan O'Reilly is going to get his say, and Jordan Bennington's a, a real dickhead, I don't think this team stands a chance. And I think this is going to be five, and there's going to be a few blowout games in, in that five games. So Colorado is going to walk through this series, and, and they're going to make a statement here. So if I may interject, those final two games against the Avalanche, the, the commanding 5-3 wins and 4-1 wins against Colorado, that doesn't scare you? You lost no. the last two games no. against St. Louis. You lost. Not at all. Not at all. Was that Devin Dubnik? You can throw. An egg? You can throw. You can throw the regular season out the window. This it's it absolutely does not matter. And the fact St. Louis has gotten hot all of a sudden and won their last three games and the power plays clicking that doesn't scare you. They are. They have rude awakening coming. Very you said five, rude. You said five games. Yes. Okay. With I'll a few go. blowouts. Wow. And then and then uh, Bennington will will. We'll have a, a very decent game, and uh, like I'm, I'm talking, this is going to be Colorado, Calgary all over again. That's what I predict. Wow! Here. Wow! Yes, yes, they're I mean, ready. I one thing I will mention is you remember remember that game I put like thirty dollars on St. Louis to beat Colorado. You remember that game? Uh Remember you were watching and no. like all, all the shit was going on. Like guys were breaking sticks. Guys were yelling at each other. Like it, it got heated. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is a rivalry. Like this is a rivalry. This is going to be a great. It, it's television. starting. So, something is starting. This, this is another top but. three series. I think this is going to be an incredible series. <laughs> and, and how many and top I, three series? Yeah. Three, dumb, dumb. <laughs> uh, Sounds like you have five. No, 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 no. I'm just saying that when these teams have locked horns, it's been heated. And this is a rivalry. And apparently these teams haven't met since like the 90s. And, or uh, like it's crazy. And, and, and it's, I think it's going to be a fantastic series. And uh, I, I think it'll go a little farther. I'll go Colorado in six games. So why don't you, uh, why don't you finish up here, uh, Mike? I just, I, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's, it's Colorado's too talented. Now's their time. St. Louis, they're on the they're on the down they're on the down. Like I've I've been I've made this point known. Like they're on the downswing. They're not the same team they used to be. They haven't played with the same vigor this year they used to. They'll give it a fight. O'Reilly will give it a fight and whatnot, but not enough. Six games. Colorado. Michael Robson. I like Ryan O'Reilly. He's a great captain. Tarasenko clearly thought he should have been captain, and I think that they lost their identity when Petrangelo left. Uh, Bennington's a schmuck. Tori Krug's a schmuck. They yes. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yes. My, I, I, you I are on point today. Fight, but just I, the abs are too good. And if there's one team, if there's one team where I really hope that they get, they get blown out, it's the blues. Yeah. Let's get Bennington out of this league. He just signed an extension, so good luck with that. (laughs) Fuck. Well, I have another hot take. I I think Gabriel Landeskog is going to fight Jordan Bennington. 
Okay. <laughs> that is my hot take That'd of the day. Fun. Man, there's gonna be lots of fights in this series. I'm telling you, this this might this might this will probably be the most this could be the most physical series. I think I don't think a lot of people have tuned into these these regular season games got heated. Heated. Uh buckle up. This is gonna be great. I'm so glad the um, West played out this way because we have two very good series here. So I'm just tallying up the the results here, and I I don't want to say this, but Nick, do we disagree on any series? We disagreed on uh, one, I think. Which uh, one? Uh, oh, actually, you guys might not have. We have the West think- in common. We have the North in common. You have Carolina. You have uh, Tampa. Yep. And then in the east we have the Islanders and we have Boston. That's no fun. Yeah, we gotta change. We gotta change this. <laughs> uh, change yeah. This. Oh no. Okay, I'll go back to the drawing board. Yeah, the only one I'd reconsider would be uh, Washington, Boston. I might, I might, I might still tilt my hand in the Washington direction there, but I'm pretty Please confident do. Please about do. the rest of those. Uh. Yeah, because well, you know it'll it'll cause suspicion if if we come out with the same first round bracket. You know that. Why? It's People only like, going to be it's talking. Only a qu- it's only a quarter of the playoffs. The rest is still going to have to unfold. Also, well, for the most part, you guys are taking the higher seed, except for the Isles yeah. one, right? That's true. That's true. No, You're taking no. the easy road. But wa- Washington's the higher seed against Boston, are they not? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, except for the East. You're taking the higher seed. Yeah. Yeah, it's which lame is, as hell, eh? Isn't unusual, though, for first-round projections. Yeah. It is lame, though. I get it. I get yeah. it. Uh, I, I wish I could say there's going to be a gnarly upset, but I I, I think there'll be some close calls, but I don't know if there will be. But If I were to turn back anyone, I, I would say Florida, actually. If I were to. I, I don't want to go there yet, but if I were to think about it, Okay. But I don't know. Okay. Well, uh, on that note, um, we I thank you, Mike, for being so bold with yours, making things interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh thank, thank God, God we have you on the show. <laughs> and uh and, and I, w- I wish you the best in your bracket challenge. Yeah. Um, when I'm uh last place, we can we can come back and talk about right. being bold and where it how gets far you. did you have the flyers going last year? I had them winning it all. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome! I love that. Hey, hey, I had the Flyers winning the division this year, so yeah, me too. Pretty mucked up stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, uh, I just have some concluding thoughts. Three things to address before we sign off formally. Want to give uh, a shout out and two congratulations. So uh, my first, uh, my first shout out, Kyle. This goes to the. Uh, the HBO foreign uh, foreign series Bear Town. Uh, oh, right. It's a it's a foreign series covering Swedish hockey, Swedish minor hockey. It's a limit. It's a limited series uh, on HBO. Five episodes. Highly recommend it. Just finished it this week. That is my uh, hockey shout out uh, as far as pop culture goes for this week. And I implore you all to see. Did you see the trailer, Kyle? I did. Yeah. Did it I was really surprised. You? surprised Uh, you know why because i thought it would be mostly uh, like revolving around hockey when hockey was kind of the background and the subject was more 
so other dramas interesting interesting but uh i that that's just what the trailer gave me after i could be wrong but uh but yeah no it looked good i i think it it, it did enough for me to, to tune in yeah good 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 uh highly recommend for everybody um my first congratulations goes out to pierre Maguire's son ryan he won the rookie of the year in the bchl for his uh for his team the penticton bees so uh, mm-hmm. he's rookie of the year of the Pendicton Bees. So w- what do you got to say about that? Um, I'm super happy. I hope he does well in Colgate. Right. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I have to look at his stats. If, if he tore the roof off, then great. But if he put up like, you know, 40 points in 60 games, doesn't uh, move the needle for yeah. me. Yeah. I, I was when they mentioned rookie of the year, I was like, wow, what an achievement, the BCHL. And then when they mentioned it was for his team, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, how many rookies are oh, on the team? Okay, come on. That's <laughs> a little much. That's you didn't catch news. on to that? No, I didn't. This isn't yeah. news. Yeah, so when they mentioned it on the radio, they made it sound like he was the rookie of the year of the BCHL. I'm like, wow, what a player. This kid might make the show. Yeah. And then yeah. and then he's like, he's the next Alex Newhook. And then, yeah. and then it's like, nope. Uh, rookie of the year of the Penticton Bees. So there you have it. Um, mm. And then final congratulations. Uh, and we got we to gotta say this because we've been talking about it the last few weeks and we have to address it. Our fantasy hockey te- league has ended and mm. neither of us have won it. Neither of our guest hosts have won it. Young Matthew McRae won the, uh, the fantasy championship this year. So he goes home with the 200. I told him to, uh, we give him a round of applause on the show. Kyle will add some sound effects in post-production. And, uh, and, and, and post and post. Yep. And we, we wish him the best. I told him, I sent him his money. I said, go buy a dry sidle Jersey because that's about the only reason you are where you are right now. So, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. So, uh, Harsh. Hey, congrats to him. And it was, it was so nuts following that series. I mean, the, the fact it yeah. came down to shots on goal and and hits and and or whatever and tying Josh in the final there like what a, what a crazy event what like just crazy crazy like did I like Mike I I lost to this guy because Mikhail Sergachev scored a goal on Sunday the final day of the matchup and Mikhail Sergachev had only scored two goals all year yeah yeah That's that brutal. sounds about right. So th- mm. I'm just happy I traded Sebastian Ajo to him. And so Sebastian, right. Sebastian Ajo is lifting the cup. Yeah. You know? Good on you. Best Good acquis- on you. Best you, you were part of this. Deadline. Yeah. You, you created this monster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Congrats to Matthew oh, McCray. Yeah. Go on. One more thing to tip my hat to, to Matt is he won the league and probably made about 10 total moves all year including not wasting all his pickups in the semis nor in the finals, which is to me crazy. Unheard of. Is that just like, is that just amazing drafting? I don't know what it is, but it's like, you know, nerves of steel and it's, I don't know, just utter faith and wisdom. I don't know what it is. It's, it's amazing. He was the number one seed last year too, right? He won. Yeah. Yeah, he won. Yeah. He's got a track record and it's not his first championship. He's won he's won a few in his day. So definitely not someone to be meddled with, that's for sure. Uh but we end this on that note. Good. So yeah, congratulations to McCray. 
And we close out on that note, this uh, this 11th episode of the Rink Moose podcast. We hope you all enjoyed. Please do not steal our predictions. And uh, until next time, enjoy the playoffs. Please enjoy. And we will get back to you guys for the start of the second round in two weeks time. So until then, take care and goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 B